Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 173 of At Odds with Wrestling. Joe and the strongest man in the land, Arthur MacArthur. How are we doing today, Artie? Hello, old sports. Fresh off my victory at AIW Ether. How are you? Yes, uh, AIW is live as we record currently from the Winchester. Um, I hate to say it's their B shows, but it's more of their Jim Thorpe, their non- Odeon shows where things are a little bit looser, a little bit different talent uh, things there. But as always, uh, an amazing show, of course. Uh, I did not get a chance to watch live because I didn't want to start the show and then have to do this show. But I will be watching when it does go up on VOD over on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, as I hope all of you do as well. Yeah, so my mentions were going off, and I was like, oh, shit, they have a, a show on a Thursday? What the hell? So I didn't realize, so I, I popped it on, and I got to catch the uh, bulking season versus uh, Von England's match. Uh, and then after that, I turned it off because, you know, I had to prepare for the show. Got to get my notes together. I got a kick out of uh, this week on the AIW podcast. You know, everyone, all the, all the folks on these shows are working hard, trying to promote, trying to do some stuff. And uh, Steve Guy asked Thorne, he's like, oh, did you see uh, Bulking Season's promo that they did? And he goes, no, I didn't. He goes, I don't <laughs> want to watch that. He goes, uh, he goes, I think if I watch it, I'll get mad. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do like everybody kind of giving each other uh, a, a tough time. I know uh, members only, Brian Carson and Casey carrying them the fourth. Uh, have been, uh, to say blurring the lines might be giving uh, the lines a little bit too much credit there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being angry listening to a podcast, show, I guess the, uh, the finals <laughs> of the Tournament of Champions, it's set in stone, and I am once again the winner. Two, t- two years in a row, Joe, I am the winner. I, I'll, You know what? I'll even defer my win to you. How about that? Officially on the air. Nice. nice. Um, I don't think Tim is going to do that for you. He's not as nice a guy as I am. Uh, I'd say Tim worked very hard to get his victory over you. uh, I mean, if you want to say he got a victory over me, I beat him twice. How how do you have a legitimate champion who has never beaten me? So, like, right now, as you said, you are receding your championship to me. Absolutely. The first year, that's my title. And then you're going to have this paper champion, Tim Taylor, out there. Now, granted, he put on very, very, very good episodes, and so did DeWiki in the finals. But, you know, to say that you're the champion and having never beaten me, like, that's, it's kind of fraudulent, if you ask me. He's the uh, A-show interim champion until you're (laughs) ready to go or work up some new bit or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost like the culmination of the past year uh, of him winning, uh, you know, and building up to a, a, a matchup between me and him might have to happen, you know? I think it w- would have worked better if it was uh, Tim and the boar, but what do I know? Yeah, I mean, that's what my burner accounts tried to arrange, but it didn't work out. <laughs> exactly. I guess I don't have a strong enough burner uh, army yet. Maybe, no. maybe next time. But, uh, yeah, congrats to Tim. You know, I'm coming for you. I'm going to one day make it known that uh, I am the undisputed two-time champion. And as soon as his podcasting hiatus comes to an end, you know, we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, hopefully that's uh, sooner than later. I'm missing uh, final wrestling place on uh, Monday mornings, but, you know. Yeah, and you know what? After the last WWE pay-per-view, like, I've been getting spoiled by the fact that I don't have to actually watch the WWE (laughs) pay-per-views. So I usually tune in uh, to uh, their other show. I forget it's escaping me right now. Viewer's Choice. Viewer's Choice, yes. Uh, To kind of get the recap, and I don't have that anymore, so... I'm very lost in what's going on on the E, but I think you're okay uh, yeah. <laughs> without being uh, that involved. But hey, maybe uh, some stuff that's going on in the E might come up a little bit later on, you know? Yeah. And before we move on to the the main show, you teased it on Twitter, and I think a lot of people want to hear. You said uh, obviously you had a little bit of a backstory about Bob Saget, who we just lost this past week, uh, being the Chikara commissioner. You want to tell that story on the air? Yeah. What a, what a crazy out of nowhere sort of thing. You know, he was just on Artie Lang's podcast and I always feel bad when people do this, right? So Norm Macdonald passed away a couple months ago and Bob Saget here passed away just this past weekend. And everyone's like, man, I, I thought it would have been already the one who'd be dead. And I'm like, okay, yes, Artie has lived a wild and crazy and hard life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he just had two very close friends pass away within, like, months of each other. And the online thing is like, man, I wish it was Artie who was dead. I'm surprised <laughs> he's alive. And I'm like, oh, that's, I don't know. Like, I, I, I get where everyone's mindset is, but that just comes off as, like, so insensitive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, like, Artie's podcast came out on Monday, but it was probably already in the can from a few days prior. Um, But, yeah, the Bob Saget thing was, like, he was on tour. He was back on the road doing comedy. He tweeted out after the show and said that he just did two hours worth of, like, whatever. And he's like, I miss this. I love this. It's great to be back. And then, like, less than 12 hours later, he was found unresponsive. In his hotel room. Now, they claim, like, no foul play, no drugs, no anything else like that. So, who the hell knows what really happened there, right? Yeah. So, as for Bob Saget and his uh, relation to Chikara, you know, when you have these layers of uh, kayfabe authority figures, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, director of fun is, like, the me, the Wink Vavasaur, the Dieter von Steigerwalls. Um, the, uh, Cavalier Jones, at least one of those people have fled the country for various reasons. Um, then like the next level up is like the commissioner, right? And that's where your Bob Saget was. So how that all came to be was a lot of the old Chikara shirts would be just like a solid, solid, brightly colored shirt, Chikara logo on the front. And in the back would be like a spiral of all the people from that season's names, right? Mm -hmm. And the first season that they decided to do it as they're doing the spiral, it just didn't look right. There was just like, eh, like, uh, it was like a couple characters off. And they're looking at the roster. They're looking at things like, whose name can we shorten? Or whose name can we just represent as this? Or whose name can we add in as this? And then Quack, just as a goof, said, it's a few letters It'll be enough to fill it out. We're just going to throw Bob Saget's name in there, right? <laughs> yeah. We're never going to mention it. We're just going to throw Bob Saget's name in there. If people find it, people find it. And, of course, 
Chikara kind of like learned its fan base to look for that sort of stuff. So then, well, let me ask you this: Was this a a merch shirt or just something that like a merch shirt guys would wear? Okay, it was a merch shirt, right? Um. So then his name shows up again, and then it has to be like, well, why is his name there? And it comes out that he's the commissioner, and everything that he's filtering down goes through the director of fun, right? Yeah. So it's a 2006 Chikara event where they're building up to a Lucha de Apuesta between Icarus and Jigsaw. The two of them are just at each other's throats the whole time, always getting these crazy pull-apart brawls and everything else like that. And... Uh, it was on the sheet in the back is like match happens, brawl, match gets thrown out. Chikarison comes down and sets up the uh, Lucha de Apuesta for the next show in Hellertown. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what it says on the sheet. That's what everyone is led to believe happens. However, Quack takes me and the guy Sonic, who is doing uh, the music cues, aside and says, what it says on the sheet isn't going to happen. Joe's going to come out and he's going to throw to a video. And then when Joe throws that video, you play this video. Didn't tell us what it was. Didn't anything, right? Mm-hmm. So at least I knew I wasn't the one doing it. So if you watch the video, and I know it's been clipped a bunch of me already on the microphone, but there's a bit beforehand of me walking down the ramp on my actual cell phone. And I think I'm doing good cell phone acting, you know, <laughs> of talking yeah. to someone. And it was supposed to be that I was throwing to the live satellite feed that things have gotten so out of hand that if they're not going to listen to me, the director of fun, they're going to listen to the commissioner, Bob Saget. And as it turned out, within the previous like two or three months to this getting ready to happen, it was either Quack or Chris Hero or Claudio, like somebody who was higher up in Chikar at that time in 2006 just happened to run into Bob Saget at an airport. And they're like, oh my God, hey, could I bug you? Um, you you're not going to understand it, but could you film this video for a wrestling company? And they give him the verbiage to set up the match. And if you watch it, you'll see that it's very heavily edited because, you know, they're like, oh, we got one shot at it. Whatever he takes, we're just going to have to make the best of the footage that he records, right? Yeah, because he so, was like a very notoriously filthy comedian. Like people don't reckon realize that about him, you right? Know? And like I think it was out by that point because I think like by like the early two thousands it was kind of out there, but it was still trickling out a little bit. You know, I always think back to the early South Parks from like the late nineties where they would really rag on Bob Saget for being lame mm-hmm. because it wasn't that widely known that he was like this filthy stand up comedian. Because, like, his presence on Full House and his presence on America's Funniest Videos was so strong, you know, it was the early, it was the late 90s. Like, there wasn't the internet and things didn't, like, travel the way that they do now, you know? Sure. So, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, like, he's really going to hammer it home as hard as he can. So, I'll never forget, as Quack is explaining to us the video, is that uh, Saget reads through the verbiage. And then he ends it by saying, uh, I don't know what the fuck I just said, and I don't fucking care. <laughs> so obviously they got to cut that part out because Chikara is family friendly. 
Um, but yeah, it was just like one of those weird happenstance things. And I think it was maybe like a year or two later where uh, like they pivoted away and said that like, oh, Bob Saget has stepped down as commissioner and now Dave Coulier is commissioner. <laughs> and I think it was one of those things where like, we got this free bit from Bob Saget, but Bob Saget's public persona is so leaning heavily into being a filthy comedian. We're a family-friendly promotion. Even though none of it is real, let's kind of, like, distance ourselves from this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, was yeah. Bob Saget ever, like, known as being a wrestling fan at all? No. No, just, okay, just completely no clue what any of it was. One of the, so this is weird as well. So, like, maybe, like, years later, um, Bob Saget was, like, a regular on Open Anthony, right? Oh, of and, course, that, that, that's where I saw him do stand-up uh, Traveling Virus show back in the day. Sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Patrice O'Neill, Jim Norton, it was a good show. That's two good comedians. <laughs> um, so one of the students at the time from Chikara, this guy Frank, who, like, he's one of many Chikara students that never debuted. He was supposed to have a caveman gimmick or whatever the fuck it was, right? So, uh, Opie and Anthony are doing some sort of live remote thing in Philly, and they have Bob Saget there. Frank is a fan, and Frank was a very, he's like tall, he has a very unique look to him. So, they spot him in the crowd, and they're like, let's get this guy over here. And then Frank is like, hey, Bob, you may not remember this, but a year or two ago, you did this thing for a wrestling company. And Bob's like, okay, sure. And he's like, that's my company that I, I'm i a student for. And he says the name Chikara. And then Bob's like, like you could tell he vaguely remembered. But mm -hmm. he just talks about how like weird it was that a guy came up to, a, to him in an airport and asked him to record this thing. <laughs> Last question I have about this, and I think yes. a lot of people asked it, is, is there anywhere where there, the original footage might still lie, short of going to Quack's house and asking for it? I, I think you have to go to uh, Westlawn, PA, and uh, get a copy from someone's uh, deep, deep archives. <laughs> All right. So no, no, no uh, YouTube clips of that anywhere. Absolutely not. All right. That's a shame. And now, At Odds with Wrestling presents. This day in wrestling history. All right. So this is a busy day in wrestling history. Um, and I'm just going to say this, and it's, it's you know, some stuff we could dwell on and some stuff we don't really need to dwell on. Um, it's, I sometimes get a little help in getting my uh, This Day in Wrestling History stuff together. Mm -hmm. And this person gets it from a pay website. Okay. Yeah. And I'll say the last three weeks, this pay website was doing like Brian Myers would say, like, hey guys, like put a little effort into it, okay? <laughs> because I don't put a ton of effort into it. And I yeah. came up with no less than one, two, three, four, five things. And they came up with like, Oh, someone was born this day or like this other thing happened. And like the things that I found, like the, obviously they're doing it every day. They're not just doing it once a week. Like I am. 
And we lucked out that we're having like the 1997 head to head Monday Nitros and Raw against each other every week. So like we kind of lucked out on that. But there's like other stuff that happened that they just like completely look over, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like the fact that I am able to contribute all of my this days in history without having to go to that paid website is really just a credit to myself. You know, like all the ones that I bring week to week, you know? Exactly. <laughs> So right. uh, this this day in wrestling history in 1993, World Championship Wrestling held a Clash of the Champions event from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And again, you know, a lot of people were complaining about like Battle of the Belts this past week, saying like, oh, man, like I expect to be this two hour extravaganza. I expected to be like the old Clash of Champions. I think we all remember these Clash of Champions being much different than they actually are. Um, just to kind of run down the card here, uh, Cactus Jack versus Johnny B. Bad, uh, Too Cold Scorpio versus uh, Scotty Flamingo, Vinny Vegas versus Tony Atlas in an arm wrestling match, <laughs> Chris Benoit versus Brad Armstrong, the Wrecking Crew of Fury and Rage taking on Tom Zink and that jobber Tom Brandy. And then, like, our last two matches, it's, like, Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas against the Hollywood Blondes for the tag titles. Okay. And then we have uh, Paul Orndorff, Vader, and Barry Windham against Sting, Dustin Rhodes, and Cactus Jack in a uh, Thunder Cage match. Okay? So, like, outside of those two main event matches, the rest of the show is just, like, garbage, really. Right? Yeah. And this is how most Clash of the Champions were, if you go back and look at them. But the big thing that happened here was this is where Cactus Jack uh, had his baby face turn in WCW. So you got uh, powerbombed by Vader? Well, so this leads to the program with Vader. Okay. Um, the powerbomb on the floor happens on WCW Saturday night. I think, like, maybe Super Brawl, which is the February pay-per-view, he has this crazy match with Paul Orndorff where Mick talks about it in his book that afterwards – you know, Paul Orndorff thanked him because at the time he was only like on a handshake deal with WCW. And it was that match that got Paul Orndorff signed by WCW. And he was with WCW until the day they died. So like for the next seven years. And it was like that match, you know. Mm. Um, so it was one of these deals where uh, Cactus was attempting to help out Vader, who was the champion. And Vader's got Harley Race and Vader's got Paul Orndorff and he's got whomever. And there was a replacement in the Thunder Cage match, and Jack thought it was going to be him, and they said, no, it's going to be Paul Orndorff. And, like, Jack's like, well, I've been helping you guys out. You know what the hell? They turn on Cactus Jack and kind of put the beat down on him. And then when Sting's team is down a person, Cactus comes out for the save, joins the babyface turn, and then, like, you know, that's, like, kind of how Jack becomes a babyface for the first time in his career, you know? Yeah. I wasn't watching WCW religiously in the early 90s, but is the reason why there's rose-colored glasses for Clash of the Champions because the Saturday and Sunday shows were pretty much enhancement matches, and, you know, these were, like, your Saturday night's main events where you actually got star versus star? Maybe that's why people look back fondly on them? Well, and he, so it depends on what WCW show that you're watching because— they would do star versus star stuff on, like, the normal things. And I'm not saying that every Clash was a dud, but I would say most Clashes were a dud. If there was 30 Clash of the Champions, I think maybe six of them 
were noteworthy. And like you remember those six and you don't remember like the ones where it was like Ranger Ross versus Jack Victory in a 15 minute time limit draw. Right. <laughs> yeah. They would well, do stuff in the early days of the clashes, like, and obviously everyone remembers like this, uh, the one that was like Sting and Ric Flair, the the uh, what you call it, the Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair match from '89, like '88, '89. You had some good clashes, but then you had some like really shitty ones too. Yeah, thank God we'll be covering one of the better ones later on in the show. We'll get into that. I got a <laughs> lot of notes. <laughs> Uh, so also on this day, wrestling history, as I mentioned, 1997, head-to-head, Nitro versus uh, Monday Night Raw. Uh, Raw is another episode that was taped two weeks prior. And we have uh, Triple H and Jerry Lawler taking on Gold Dust and Mark Marrow. We have the we have Rocky Maivia taking on the British Bulldog. And we have Undertaker taking on Crush. Raw was an hour long. It was two weeks taped in the can. It sucked. Yeah, a lot of star power, but probably not right. That but like nobody, like you know? things, things don't really start shaping up for Raw until for like we're like two weeks away. Like that first, the the and again I mentioned it last week. It's the Raw post the Royal Rumble that's live with the whole Austin and Tyson thing, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously Nitro being live every week, Nitro. Being two hours every week, it has this advantage on it. And the Nitro that happened this day, 1997, is when DDP finally gives his answer that he's not joining the NWO. And he gives Scott Hall the stunner, which was like a huge moment, I think, in like babyface DDP. Because mm. he like he had been a heel, but he never like this, like he like the crowd was getting behind him. Right. Yeah. And this is his official babyface turn because for weeks the NWO was teasing that like, oh yeah, Dallas Page joined us. He's he's with the NWO. But anytime that like they would ask DDP about it, he would always avoid the question. Or he wasn't there that week to defend himself against the NWO. And this was the time where like Hall and Nash come out, they give him the shirt, and he stuns Hall and he leaves to the crowd, right? Yeah, and DDP was one of the few WCW guys, one of the few baby faces that actually gave the NWO a run for their money. Because pretty much everybody else that they would have a program with, whether it be like Flair or any of the guys who eventually joined, like Savage or whatever, they all just jobbed out to the NWO. But DDP had a long run of being their equal nemesis, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, and it's kind of like the beginning of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but also on this Nitro, and this is one of those infamous moments that I think a lot of people, like, remember but want to forget. So Nitro is two hours. Nitro does an overrun. It goes over the two hours this week because the main event is Hollywood Hulk Hogan defending the title against the Giant. But if you want to watch that match... You have to watch the show that's on after Nitro, which was the debuting Adventures of Robin Hood. And they would <laughs> cut into the match during the commercial breaks of Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah, to make it seem like it was an hour-long match, too, right? Right. So the match is, like, done, and then it's just they're cutting to, like, cl- like you saw the entire match during those commercial breaks as they were cutting to it every however 
off and something goes to commercial breaks. But it was like a real cheap and cheesy ploy to try to get you to watch The Adventures of Robin Hood. <laughs> and that show went on for a 10-year run. Oh, yes. Everyone remembers it very fondly. <laughs> uh, so another thing, wrestling history, and one of those kismet things when stuff lines up like this. Uh, you know, we always go by air date, not tape date when it comes to this sort of stuff. On this day, wrestling history, on an episode of SmackDown in 2000, this is when Mankind comes out to challenge Triple H, but not as Mankind, but as Cactus Jack. Okay, that's the the, the pre-tape where it was Mankind and Dude Love arguing with each other on the Titantron. No. 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 Okay. So you're thinking ni- this? That's ninety. That's September of ninety-seven. This is um, mankind. Is like he's like you know the, the corporate mankind with the shirt and everything else like that. Uh, Triple H had been doing the skits where Midian was fake mankind. It was like busting on him and everything. Hmm. And uh, Triple H is the champion. This is the, this is McMahon Helmsley era. Triple H. He's the champion, right? Okay, yeah, I and got this, my timelines mixed up here. Right, and this sets up the match at Royal Rumble later this year, Royal Rumble 2000 from the Garden, which is like that crazy good match. So Mick Mick comes out as Mankind, and he's like, oh, you know, I've been trying to get you, and you've been stopping me in every, every, every chance that I can get, and Mick starts, like, approaching the ring, um, and he goes, I just don't think that Mankind is the guy that's going to be able to stop Triple H. And he goes, but you know what? And he takes off the mask and he goes, but I think I know a guy. And then he rips open the white shirt and he has the Cactus Jack shirt on and Triple H like sells it like he's like saw a ghost, right? Mm-hmm. Mick comes out, he comes out of the ring and he does like all the old Cactus Jack stuff. And it was just a simple thing of just like, it's the same guy. He's just wearing a different shirt. And <laughs> if like, tri- like a different Triple H, maybe four or five years later, would have no sold it, maybe would have laughed, maybe would have whatever. But 2000 Triple H was still not at the top yet. He was still on the rise. He needed guys like Mick and The Rock and everybody else to help him get to that next thing. And it, being like a Cactus Chip fan, a Mick Foley fan, it's like one of the most memorable moments uh, in Mick's WF career uh, as a fan, you know? Yeah, well, Triple H recognized that Mick was bringing out his dark uh, passenger, like his demon, you know? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's right. So this is this is prior to, like, The Fiend or uh, uh, whatever the hell's going on with Alexa Bliss. Or Finn or, Balor. Yeah, Finn Balor with the demon and these sort of things. Oh, that's a good parallel. I like that. And uh, you mentioned Kismet. Well, when we get to our weekly purchases later, I might have something uh, that relates to what we just talked about in my purchases. Oh, no. You didn't buy someone's kiss cards, did you? <laughs> I don't know where you got kiss cards from us talking about. Well, I guess I did mention Kismet? Kiss cards? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, yeah. I, I, no, 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 no. Something merch related to one of the people we just talked about. Okay, okay. Uh, last but not least, on this day in wrestling history... In 2001, uh, not with a bang, but with a whimper, the original ECW, the one that made no money, (laughs) held held its final show in that ECW hotbed of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. (laughs) And... uh, and when I read you this card, you're gonna be like, "How did this? How did this company not go out of business years earlier?" Um, 
Nova. Well, before you do that, before, oh, I was oh. going to say, I want to see how many people I don't recognize. Okay. You know, I'm going to do a running count as you do the card. Okay. Nova took on the Prodigy. No idea who the Prodigy is. Uh, he was um, Tom Marquez. Uh, he had a woman with him who was the Prodigette. He was one of the hangers on of like a Simon Di- like when Simon Diamond had like 19 people that he came down to the ring with. Okay, yeah, that doesn't ring a bell, but go ahead. Okay, uh, Joey Matthews and Christian York. Uh, they are recognized. Yep. T- took on Julio De Niro and Easy Money. Okay, I'm good there. Super Crazy took on Tajiri. All right. Uh, Danny Doring and Tommy Dreamer. The, those two I, I recognize. Yep, that dreamer guy. Yep. Took on Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke. It's not as bad as I thought yet. Okay. Jack Victory took on C.W. Anderson. Uh, shitty match, but I recognize the names. Michael Shane took on Stan Lee, and I don't mean Stan the Man <laughs> Lee or even Dan the Man Lee. Uh, I don't recognize either one of those, so that's uh, the Michael Shane would have a run in Ring of Honor, but more notably had a run in TNA. Uh, oh, you was might he, know... the one... he was Shawn Michaels' cousin or something He like was that. Shawn Michaels' cousin, yes. Okay, all right. I, I rescind that. I'm down to two then. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rhino took on Spike Dudley. All right. Just Incredible took on the Sandman. All right. And then that was the uh, last match in ECW history, was uh, Just Incredible versus the Sandman. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like it's not a glory days, you know, Raven versus franchise versus Terry Funk deal or anything like that. But it's right. not as bad as I it's not as bad as a show that might have ran two years prior. Exactly. Um, but I was like, I was really checked out. I think they did their last pay-per-view in December mm-hmm. and that was them building Carino and just incredible as the new impact players. And they were promoting their next pay-per-view that was going to be, like, sometime in January or whatever it was. But there was, like, no building announced for it or anything like that. And they had canceled the TV taping. And I'm just like, man, I go, Easy is going to be done. And, like, the fact that they end their run, like, this historic, influential run in, like, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, of all places, you know? Yeah. And I think that's um, the mark of a company that at least most of the people at the top didn't think it would be the last show. Because if you're going to if you're going out and you're doing it with your with knowledge of it, you would probably run Philly, you know, as your last show. Yeah, it was a Philly show that was actually canceled um, maybe like a week prior to this. OK. And they were like, well, like, I, I don't think they like. I think everyone knew this was the last show, but a lot of people were still holding out hope that they might get one more show. And then maybe like that my timeline might be a little off, but we're maybe about two weeks away uh, in the 2001 timeline from Paul Lee showing up as the replacement commentator on Monday night raw for Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, once Paul Lee showed up on raw, they were like, yeah, ECW's done. Yeah. Ain't no turning back now. Right. All right, so big day in wrestling history. I love talking about this sort of stuff. Uh, batting down the hatches because we got more coming up when we talk about Adam's homework from last week. Uh, so, hey, Adam, I'm going to just say it. It's not likes and dislikes, but let's talk about some stuff from wrestling in the last seven days. How about that? 
All right. Yeah. See, I, I like when I'm not encumbered by the idea of having to have a list of likes and dislikes because I go into the week being like, oh, I want to talk about this. This is something that I want to talk about. And then once I have that one thing written down, I kind of relax. And then if there's other things I wanted to talk about, I write them down as well. So I have a couple things, but I want to start off with specifically, and I don't think this is a surprise to anybody who listens to the show, but there was a pay-per-view this past weekend that I, I definitely paid for Joe and I didn't watch on my laptop, but it was Impact Hard to Kill. And not the main event, but the second main event, like the undercard main event, was a three-way dance for the Impact World Championship. And here's the thing. I want to I want to try to do this as unbiased as I possibly can. Oh, we boy. Have, we have three people in this match, all right? And none of them are what you would call work-rate wrestlers, all right? None of them are the guy that's like, oh, this is clearly the best wrestler on the bunch. So you have Moose, you have Morrissey, or whatever the hell his name is, and you have Broski. So nobody stands out in that crowd as being, oh, this is the clearly best wrestler in the bunch. And you look at the three of them and you're like, okay, well, none of them are really these huge, huge draws. Although I will argue that one of them is a bigger draw than the other two, but we'll save that and be be neutral. And like the three of them are borderline unlikable for many different reasons. One way more than worse than the others, in my opinion. But you have one of them who is at least over, significantly over with the segment of the wrestling population. Whether you love to boo them or you love to buy toys of them, you would argue that Broski is probably the most marketable of the three. Uh, Morrissey is only famous because he had a six-month run where he was the heater for a guy that was way more over than he was. And Moose is just a big guy who looks decent in a suit. Uh, and he's also a piece of shit from all accounts, allegedly. But you go and you obviously keep the belt on Moose for some inexplicable reason when you could have easily continued the hot streak that Cardona is on. And I would never sit here and legitimately argue oh, you need to have Broski beat Kenny Omega for the Impact title, or you need to have him beat Christian, or even Josh Alexander. But, like, Moose, like, you're going to hang your championship, your, your the credibility of your company on this guy. This is the guy you're going to, you know, say, this is our guy. And, like, it just didn't make any sense to me. Even going into it, obviously, very, very biased. It just was a real head-scratcher of a decision for this company to make. It's like... It, 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 like having this guy as your poster boy just doesn't make any sense. Like what money is he drawing? What credibility is he bringing? What talk from the outside is Moose as your world champion bringing? And I, I just felt like it was just a missed opportunity from impact. So I didn't get a chance to see the pay-per-view, but I heard lots of good things about it. Um, I'm, I'm surprised, happily surprised that they did not go with some sort of angle where, like, Chelsea turns on Broski, right? Yeah. Which I really had a strange feeling that they were going to do because Chelsea was so involved and, like, getting bumped and, like, chair-shotted by Moose and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, I don't get Moose. I'll never get Moose. There's more negatives to him than there are positives. But Impact from time to time will make these poor decisions where, like, we're going to put everything like we're going to put our entire marketing budget behind moose. 
or Sammy <laughs> Callahan or some sort of other like quasi not good problematic type person. And I don't know if they feel like, well, we're going to like rehab him or we're going to fix the narrative on this guy or whatever million of different things that they think they're going to do. I don't think they're ever going to do it. And then Moose also, besides the fact that he's also seemingly a bad person, he's also very obviously a stupid person because mm-hmm. he's tr- he thinks that there's a chance in hell that with all this forbidden door stuff that he's going to get an opportunity. Ooh, there's that word against <laughs> Roman Reigns. Yeah. As though he's on the level of Roman Reigns. Like, I would need to look at the entire World Wrestling Entertainment roster to see how far down we have to go before we get to someone who WWE would be willing to even put in the ring with Moose, let alone, like, work a program with him or have a match with him. Um, But the only thing I can think that they didn't put the... Um, the belt on Broski, which they absolutely should have. It looks as though... Uh, Impact is starting to tour a little bit more often. Uh, usually they would like bulk tape for like a month's worth of TV, but now it looks like they're doing TV every other week. Um, like I said, they, because they're going on tour, you would think having Broski with the title over his shoulder on the posters of you coming to town would bring more people in than Moose. But maybe I can only think that because Broski has such like lucrative outside bookings that they couldn't nail them down to all the dates. So that's the only thing I can think of that they didn't put the belt on Broski. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I was originally thinking because he's not signed. You know, he's probably the only of those three people that were in that match that isn't a, a full-time member of the roster. Yeah. But he also, you know, wasn't appearing at every GCW show. And I think that that was still a good run as brief as it was, you know? But, well... G- it's okay. <laughs> the GCW, GCW is not Impact. Even though everyone likes to think that GCW is bigger than Impact, GCW sadly ain't bigger than Impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing of Broski not being able to make all the GCW runs was they just happened to schedule a bunch of shows during the time that Broski was preparing for and getting married. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason they did that stupid angle where I quit GCW, quote-unquote. Well, I mean, even talking about, like, when he was the champion, he wasn't appearing on every show. You know, he would send Smart Mark or do video things to send in, you know? Right, but even during, I think it was during that time, um, and I, again, it's months later, he had originally only agreed to two dates, and then they ended up adding a bunch more dates on when everything kind of blew up a little bit more than they had expected it to, and Broski already had a bunch of other indie dates scheduled, and he wasn't going to cancel those dates just to do GCW. Granted, GCW may have been more high profile than like Bill's Farmers Market in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. But <laughs> if Broski starts canceling dates um, for other companies, he's going to get a bad reputation. Yeah, people are going to stop patting lose future bookings. Right? They're going to stop patting that lope, Joe. Well, <laughs> add something. <laughs> So, hey, this this brings and this is funny. So this brings me to a thing that I wanted to talk about. Right. OK. Uh, so they announced on on Smackdown this past Friday that one of the competitors uh, in the women's battle or the women's Royal Rumble match at the pay-per-view is going to be current impact wrestling superstar Mickey James. 
Um, and everyone's like, oh, and then there was a, then there was rumor out that there was going to be a big name that was going to be in the men's Royal Rumble that wasn't a WWF contracted person. Okay. Yep. And I actually have this in my notes as something I wanted to talk about as well. Okay, good. So tons of people are like, oh man, what if it's punk coming back? Or what if it's like MJF shows up because they're doing the thing on AEW TV where MJF keeps saying that he's going to go to WWF. Or what if it's going to be Okada? Or <laughs> people like have all these people are out of their goddamn minds, right? Yeah. And listen, this is not a knock on Mickey James. Mickey James is writer, like she's Impact champion. Sounds right for her to be in the women's Royal Rumble, get a payday off Vince, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, if I'm a betting man, that outside person is Broski. Yeah. I was uh, thinking that too, because he's not, as we mentioned before, he's not signed. He'd love right. to take the payday, you know, <laughs> it he's just a, gives him more a, He's a bigger name today than he was when he was the, in WWF for the last time. Mm-hmm. And I think you had said privately that he still has Royal Rumble gear that he never got a chance to wear. <laughs> um, and this will be his chance to wear it. Might need to let it out a little bit because I think Broski might be <clears throat> uh, had a little bit more food since the last time uh, he was Zack Ryder. He's cultivating he, mass. Right, right. <laughs> cultivate. Right. You got to eat. You got to put a lot of food into your system to do that. Um <laughs> And then he could just sell the gear in the in the group to you, you know. So, <laughs> but like, if these people that are kidding themselves that it's going to be somebody from AEW or someone from Japan, you're out of your goddamn minds. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a former WWE person, you know, Correct. because it's not going to be like you mentioned an MJF or an Okada. Because, like, why if you were MJF, why would you go there? Like, even if you had the option to, if Tony Khan's like, sure, go ahead, to go there and just get, like, tossed over the top rope by Otis. Like, there's nothing to gain from it because right. you're not going over, you know? So it's like a quick payday. It might get you some buzz. But all those WWE Stan accounts will then just be like, oh, look at this top guy from AEW got eliminated by, uh, like, almost or something like that. Or they got eliminated by Damian Priest. Yeah, exactly. But you need somebody who is, as you mentioned, like uh, a Mickey James who, you know, might be signed by Impact, but, you know, uh, it's not like it's this lucrative deal that millions and millions of people are seeing. Or it needs to be a free agent, like a mercenary, like Broski, that'll just come in and take the payday, you know? <laughs> a mercenary like Broski. Yeah. <laughs> um, my only thing is, when I was thinking about this the other day, because I was fantasy booking it because Broski had mentioned on the podcast that the gear he wore at Hard to Kill was his Super 7 gear. And he had said – he made it a point to say this is the last time I'm ever wearing this gear. It's retired. And that made me think immediately, well, if he showed up at the Royal Rumble, would he wear that gear because it's Super 7 gear? And you know how he is. He's always like, oh, I want my toys to match like an iconic match. But then that led me to believe there's no way that Vince would let him be Matt Cardona. He would absolutely show up as Zack Ryder. Right. You know, because exactly. if you think about because if you think about like when Kevin Nash showed up probably like five years ago at this point, six years ago, he was diesel, yep. which made no sense at that time. So you would have him come out to the O radio music and all that, you know. 
So I'm very confused, but I think like that would make a lot of sense. I'd have I'll to check even go, see if he, I'll even go you one better. I bet you Broski takes a little less of a payday so that they get an exclusive like Royal Rumble Mattel figure of him in that gear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd buy it. <laughs> I know <laughs> you would. <laughs> this is all the build up to him being inducted in the Hall of Fame at WrestleMania. This year, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, I saw all those like, oh, it's going to be MJF. I saw things that were like, you, like you mentioned punk, which is just absurd. I saw oh my people, God. I saw people say Moxley, which I think is even more <laughs> absurd than CM Punk. <laughs> like these people that fucking hate Vince and hate the WWE. Oh yeah, sure. They'll go there just to get eliminated. But, oh, yeah, I can see Broski doing it. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think Broski's your ceiling when it comes to this sort of thing, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I can see really anybody in Impact that hasn't burned a bridge with WWE showing up. You know, you know who else I could see it being? Braun Strowman, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because it's not like he's doing anything. <laughs> he's in NWA. Um, the only AEW name that was mentioned that I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that would be Jericho, just because he's boys with Vince. And I'm, yeah, I, I can see Jericho. People. But, like, what does Tony Khan have to gain by giving them any rub whatsoever? Right. Exactly. You know. But, yeah, I have that. Like I said, I wrote down Forbidden Door Royal Rumble. But I wanted that to lead into one other thing. And the Royal Rumble is Saturday, January 22nd. So not that far away. Uh, Are we going to do the at-odds Rumble opportunity this year, Joe? I'll be honest with you, I'm not really feeling it. No? No. See, the Royal Rumble, as much as I hate the WWE and don't care about, like, the actual product, the Royal Rumble, I think I'm – many people listening to this will say that that's still one of the most watchable shows. Maybe not the whole show, but the the Rumble matches themselves. And the only thing to make things better than actually a good show is to gamble on a good show. How about this? Uh, Voicemail next week. Hang on, let me get the voicemail number to mention in the body of the show. I have it here. It is 570-846-0897. Yeah, you call us and you tell us if you want us to do the Rumble Pool again, like we did the last several years. Yeah. Yeah, like I I think last year we did two separate buy-ins, you know, one for the women's, one for the men's. And I think a lot of people enjoyed it. We filled up the spots relatively quickly. And I know yeah, I just I, I I just really think like especially in the last year a lot of like people's fandom of the world wrestling entertainment was waning a year ago, mm. and like now a year later after everything that's happened in the last twelve months for WWE, uh you know again I I know like listen man I'll be watching the Rumble I know people that don't watch or don't care about WWE just watch the Rumble because the Rumble's fun. But uh, I, I definitely think there's a lot less people watching and caring about WWE these days than there was 12 months ago. Yeah. So, yeah, give us a call on the voicemail and, you know, let us know if you'd be interested in doing the At Odds Rumble opportunity and maybe who your Forbidden Door surprises should be. Oh, you know, there like you go. Who you'd like to see show up, who you, you know, whether it be a long shot or somebody that is reasonable, you know, that might show up. You know, let us know that in the voicemail, obviously, rather than just calling and saying, I want to do the Rumble opportunity and then hanging up, you know? Yeah. All right. Anything else, Joe? I got like one, maybe two more things I could talk about. 
All right, I have one other thing. It's more of a discussion, but uh, go ahead. I'll let you do one. All right, I'll do my one. Hey, Adam, did you watch uh, NXT Two Point Glow this week? Fuck no. <laughs> All right. Um, so I kind of fell out of NXT, like watching it. You know, the full shows. Um, maybe after whatever whatever the last takeover was, you know. Yeah. Um, and obviously the last like week or so where they kind of completely gutted their backstage trainers and stuff. And they officially announced that Bruce Pritchard is in charge. And listen, nobody loves Bruce more than me, but all right, guys, come on. Um, I love, I love Bruce Pritchard. Like Jonas loves Vince Russo. How about that? (laughs) Uh So legitimately in with the bottom of your heart. (laughs) Uh huh. Definitely not a bit that's confusing and strange. Um, (laughs) But uh, I still follow, you know, I look at the social media stuff. I look at YouTube and I'll pull up stuff. I'm like, oh, this looks interesting, whatever. Um, and I, if you have if you have been watching NXT 2.0 over the last, like, let's say two months, you may have noticed a character in the background who's just kind of, like, sleeping, wearing, like, a onesie pajamas thing and, like, has an eye mask on, who's just, like, intermittently, like, sleeping in the back of scenes. Or walking around looking for somewhere to sleep. Have you seen this character? Do you know who we're talking about? Uh, I did not see this character prior to this week. But this week I saw lots of GIFs and like videos on Twitter of that person. Okay. So uh, Wendy Chu made her in-ring debut as part of a six-woman tag match with uh, Indy Hartwell and... Uh, Indy's friend. Indy's friend, Parada, right? Okay. And they, she she tags in, she gets the hot tag and they do the bit where the person goes to clothesliner. And as they clothesliner, she like stretches from waking up, ducks (laughs) under it. And then she's like a house of fire, like, you know, big, hot, fiery baby face comeback. And then she goes back over to the corner and lays back down. And a lot (laughs) of people are like, oh, that's so much like Orange Cassidy. And it's not. Um, this is someone who is and has been in NXT for quite some time and had some injuries and stuff, uh, but is very well liked. Um, and Adam, do you know who they used to be, this person? No clue. Okay. Because again, I've never seen, all I've seen of this person is in the Twitter videos at like 10 second increments. So I didn't see it on TV. No, Adam, you've seen this person before many, many times in the previous NXT, uh, because Wendy Chu is also Mei Ying, the thousand-year-old ghost who employed Boa and uh, Xia Li. <laughs> oh, I, I, no wonder why I didn't recognize her. <laughs> right. So, and I will just uh, say that before you get into anything else, sleepiness is not the same as apathy, and that's what Orange Cassidy right. is about. He doesn't care. You know, it's not like he's incapable of doing offense because he's tired he just doesn't want to bother exactly um so she like i think this could be a thing that gets people to care about nxt two point glow in its current state just because it's such a different and unique character and it's a different and unique person who's playing it um her previous indie gimmick was karen q uh back at the height of the pandemic like two years ago when Malcolm Bivens was doing like online things and like Twitch and stuff, she mm-hmm. was his co-host on them, and they have a really good back and forth rapport. Um, so like I, like to 
I would hate to say like, oh, well, she's going to be the female Malcolm Bivens because I think that's doing a disservice to her and it's doing a disservice to him. Uh, but I was happy to see that they allowed this character that kind of developed, you know, right as NXT was becoming NXT two point glow and they've kind of let it come to fruition. And this is the one thing that WWE is really good at. And it's not telling stories or creating memorable characters. It's giving you the wrestling fan, that glimmer of hope and forgetting <laughs> about all the other times that they've done it and pulled the rug out from underneath them and you. Yeah. They'll give her a monster run for three months and then call her up to the main roster and eliminate everything special about the character and the gimmick and then release her. <laughs> three months. She'll get a hot run for three weeks and then she'll be off TV for two months and then just never mention again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the week that we got this week and everything that kind of built up to the character, uh, I really enjoyed. And, you know, as Adam mentioned, you can find the clips on like social media the NXT Twitter account, the the NXT YouTube, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's definitely worth going out of your way to check it out. Okay. I'll take a look at it. When I'm skimming the episodes for Cora Jade, I'll stop on her next match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only other thing I have written down here, Joe, and it's not so much me having a hot take. It's more of a asking your opinion. But also from the Hard to Kill pay-per-view, we had a Ring of Honor invasion, quote-unquote. Yeah, And I am not a big Ring of Honor guy, as I've mentioned many times. I missed many of the high points of ROH. The only time I watched Ring of Honor was when, you know, the, the Bucks and Omega and those guys were there. Um, so aside from Maria Kanellis, who's always in the height of her powers, I don't really care about any – or I don't know any of these other people that are coming in. Should I care about any of them, and what is your take on the uh, the invasion? Uh, yeah, so I'm interested in it. Uh, it looks like it's something. Um, it has me intrigued. Of course, Impact is on right now. And the, uh, ROH invasion stuff is still going on, uh, and Impact as we speak. So, of course, it's Maria Kanellis. It's Mike Bennett. I'm pretty sure Matt Taven is there. Uh, Bennett and Taven had that really good tag match with the Briscoes on the final battle pay-per-view. Um... Vincent, uh, who was part of some group in Ring of Honor that I'm unfamiliar with, and PCO. PCO is awesome. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I forgot about PCO. Yeah, <laughs> uh, PCO is a crazy madman. So um, I'll say this. Um, I'm. It's interesting to see where the Ring of Honor thing is going to go and impact, um, especially with like them still teasing that they're going to do something with the Briscoes and FTR somewhere. Um and Ring of Honor officially announced that they're running a show WrestleMania weekend as part of, like, all the other indies that are running that same weekend. So Ring of Honor's not dead yet. And if this angle, this storyline, this whatever helps kind of boost impact that they're starting the new year with a pretty halfway decent roster with a little bit of buzz coming off a good pay-per-view getting a little bit of whatever rub or mystery or question there is about what's going on with ring of honor going forward. And hopefully that could lead to something happening. WrestleMania weekend between the two companies. I'm excited for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was um, cool to see, you know, Gresham defend the belts on the pay-per-view that was you yeah. know, keeping the, the belt alive. And they teased the, the women's champion. I apologize. I don't know her name, but she was in the crowd during the impact knockouts title match you know uh yeah so t right tonight on impact it's uh the ring of honor women's champion roxy 
taking on Deanna Perrazzo for, and again, forgive my ignorance, but she's like got one of the AAA ladies titles and they're doing like a winner take all belt for belt match on impact tonight. Okay. Sounds interesting. Right. And uh, Ian Riccoboni gets, uh, gets a couple paydays out of it too. Ian's like literally <laughs> top three best people in all of wrestling. Like you're not going to find a nicer guy, a more respected guy. Uh, if you find someone that says something bad about Ian, then that person who's saying that is probably the worst person in the world. <laughs> I've been enjoying his, uh, checklist of all the promotions where it's like the ring of honor, the impact wrestling yeah. the, and new Japan. And, uh, we also have been chatting about 90 day fiance on Twitter. So, you know, follow <laughs> that along. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I'll take your word. Fair enough. That's all I have for topics. What about you? You have any more? No, that's it. That's it. Okay. Well, there we go. So uh, I guess we're going to get into homework. And uh, I really need to rearrange the email. And I do have a different theme for homework this week, Adam. Oh, shit. Yes. It's a special occasion. (laughs) Don't wait to get up. And listen to what's ticking on the 14th of July. The boys are just kicking to smash and clash and crash it up for you. It's the Great American Bash on pay-per-view. We're up Nikita Koloff will be taking on Sting. They're gonna bust a move all over the ring. Now the nature boy, you know his name is Rick Flair, is gonna walk that aisle. So you better be. watching the the video of that youtube as you're you're playing that for us and it has the disclaimer scrolling across the bottom about rick flair not being at the pay-per-view and the title being vacated so it took everything in my power not to wrap along with that as well <laughs> that's on save that for the patreon that's right so uh adam assigned uh what he had said was uh you know notoriously maybe one of the worst uh, wrestling pay-per-views of the modern era, and we'll get into it for sure. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to, and that's Great American Bash, WCW 1991. Um, you can go, if you didn't get a chance to watch it, you can go check out uh, friend of the show, Kevin Hellion's website, Mast Library. He does a write-up uh, on the shows as well. And I just want to kind of throw this out there to give a little bit of history, a little bit of context to what we saw uh, beforehand, as Adam mentioned, like we saw the video, the commercial where it has the scroll across the bottom about Ric Flair not being on the pay-per-view, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and kudos to uh, David Bixenspan, Chris Zellner, uh, Between the Sheets, their Patreon, they did like, uh, they do like monthly episodes that sometimes are like one part, two part, three part, however big it is, depending on what it is that they're talking about. But they did one about like, essentially like Flair leaving WCW. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing about it. Go sign up for the Patreon. It's absolutely worth it if you're a wrestling historian type person like myself. So about two months, so about two months before the pay-per-view, right? 
Um, Flair has a month or he has um, Flair has a year left on his contract and they are attempting to negotiate him down going into the pay-per-view to one, take less money to take a less role in the ring, like transition to be a commentator and to lose the belt to Lex at the pay-per-view. Flair, of course, says no to all three. Okay. Sure. So the initial main event for the pay-per-view was going to be uh, Paul E. and Ric Flair taking on Lex Luger and Missy Hyatt managed by Jason Hervey. <laughs> okay. Flair says no to that as well. So then uh, July 1st, two weeks before the TV or before the pay-per-view, they're going to tape TV. Like back in the day, WCW would do like they had like. WCW Saturday Night, they had the Power Hour, they had Pro, and each one of them would have their own sets of TV tapings where they would do like two or three or four weeks of TV at a time, right? So their plan is at that TV, they're going to have Ric Flair lose the belt to Barry Windham at that TV um, to get to the pay-per-view to have Barry lose the belt to Lex. The reason they do this is, is because... Well, they're like, well, Flair doesn't want to lose the belt to Lex. Him and Barry have a better relationship. Maybe he'll lose the belt to Barry. Flair says no to that. So they just fire him. They just fire Ric Flair. They're just like, fuck you. You're done. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, WCW is still a member of the NWA. Even though NWA is nothing, that belt that Flair has he put a deposit down on that belt, so he technically owns the physical belt. And the NWA Board of Directors, even though there's no NWA, there's still an NWA Board of Directors, they still recognize Ric Flair as the NWA champion. Yeah. Even though there's no NWA, they're like, we recognize him as the champion. He physically owns the belt. If you don't give him his deposit back for the belt, which I think was like $30,000, if you don't give him that $30,000... He doesn't have to give you the belt. So the belt that you see them fight for on the pay-per-view is the old old NWA Western States Heritage title with a new nameplate slapped on it. And it's like a giant, not subtle, uh, what am I trying to say, hastily thrown on nameplate too. Jesus Christ. There's so much more to it, but that's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of how we get to this at the pay-per-view. Which is a worse temporary belt, that WCW world title or the tag team belt that Ric Flair used when he was in the WWF as the real world's champion? Uh, I would say this, just because like they took an old existing belt. Um, and just slapped a new nameplate on it. At least the fake tag team title that Ric Flair held up was something that they had specially made for him. Granted, it was from an old design, and it was more blue than red like the tag titles were, but at least it was like a something one-of-a-kind, not just taking an old belt that they had laying around to just like put like a new coat of paint on it or something. Okay. Cool. Let's get to the get to the pay-per-view. All right, so uh, this is a show with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven matches, which is far too many matches. Jesus. Uh, Our opening contest is a scaffold match 
pitting uh, PN News, the rap master, and beautiful Bobby, who's actually over with this crowd in Baltimore, taking on uh, stunning Steve Austin, newcomer to World Championship Wrestling, who had just defeated Bobby Eaton for the TV title, and the Red Rooster. <laughs> Terrence now, Taylor, nice. Adam, you may have noticed us. Austin was accompanied to the ring by Lady Blossom. Uh-huh. And you also may have noticed several illicit signs in the crowd um, about Lady Blossom, about them inviting her to their hotel room after the show. Yeah, <laughs> there's one of them that was like, my room number is this, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, so scaffold matches are difficult in the first place, especially when you have uh, like a 400 plus pound guy in there and you add in the new rule stipulation that the way that you win is to either throw your opponents off the scaffold or to capture their flag and bring it back to the, to your side, right? Yeah, I read on Wikipedia, which obviously is the most trusted source of wrestling information, yes. that they changed it to the capture the flag because nobody wanted to take the, the bump. You of know? course. And rightfully so, you know? Rightfully so! <laughs> um, now, they did try to do some cute things with the camera work in this match to show, like, how high up the guys were on this. But the problem was, many times during this match when they cut to that camera angle, you could also see the rows and rows of empty seats. <laughs> uh, lots of jockeying for position, lots of people laying down on their bellies, uh, lots of people laying down on top of each other with their bellies. Um, I think Bobby Eaton got the flag back to his side because the announcers completely missed the finish. Yeah, it almost seemed like, and they mentioned this, uh, Kevin mentioned this in his write-up, is that, like, Eaton forgot that he was supposed to get hit with the foreign, or with the spray. You know, like, he went over, got the flag, walked over, like, maybe got all the way to the end or got three quarters of the way over to his home base, but then turned around and started hitting people with the flag. So, and then when, you, as you mentioned, the, the announcer says, you know, that the baby face is one. It was just all very confusing. It was a terrible end to, like, an underwhelming, shitty opening match. Yeah, I, again, I don't know. Like, so this is one of the, so we'll get into it as we kind of get, uh, I, I will get to the end of the show and I'll get my uh, full thoughts out about all of this, right? All right. Um, so next we cut to our announcers, which is Tony Schiavone and G uh, Jim Ross. Again, 1991, wrestling called by Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross. Mm -hmm. uh, something that you could see in 2022. What you can't see in 2022 is Tony's phenomenal dye job and mullet combination. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> um, they do tell us, the fans watching at home, that they're, you know, they kind of uh, encapsulate the kayfabe stuff that happened with Ric Flair, why Ric Flair's not here, what we're doing going forward with the title, how that there was an option made to get Ric Flair to come back in the 11th hour, which was a lie. But, you know, they got to do their best to save face uh, in regards to all of this, right? Yeah. Um, we then cut to a promo with Arn Anderson and Paul E. Dangerously. And uh, you know how, like, in recent weeks and months, we're all, we've all been surprised. It's like, oh, man, Arn Anderson pulling the Glock on someone. Like, that was such a shocking promo. Like, I don't know, you go back and watch this promo in 1991. And, like, I believe 1991 Arn Anderson killed a motherfucker. 
<laughs> yeah, another thing that jumped out at me and is like, obviously, when you think of Paulie dangerously around this area, you think of the giant Zach Morris cell phone. And I'm looking at this and he just has a household cordless phone with like duct tape on the top of it. I was like, yeah, I don't remember him using that. <laughs> that's that's what he used. He didn't have like the, the big blocky like no. mobile phone. Nope, absolutely not. Huh, maybe that was like an e- early ECW thing that I'm just Might like, have been early ECW. All right, I don't know why I have that confused in my head. You know which kind of phone I'm talking about. It has like a flat back to it and a kind of, yep. you know, like a, a half moon on the front. Hmm. Okay. Oh, for sure. And I also just, I want to throw in there, I love the the old school ramp to the ring. You know, I know... You know, AEW does it a lot, but like I, I remember being fascinated with how unique that was as a kid seeing these shows. Yeah, I they even though like WCW may have been like low rent at times, I love that ramp to the ring. Always, always a good thing. Yep. Uh, so next up we have the Diamond Stud, accompanied to the ring by his manager from the Diamond Mind, Diamond Dallas Page, who we'll come back to this a little bit later on is wearing the same goddamn American flag leather jacket that the Freebirds are wearing later on in the evening. <laughs> they just swapped. That's all they had. One Apparently <laughs> um, taking on the Z man, they do the shtick where they're trying to find the perfect diamond doll uh, kind of like positioning diamond stud, like a Rick rude type character where they have the girl come out of the crowd and like rip the, like the long pants off of him to reveal his tights. Search um, for the stud at. Yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, Scott Hall sure had like pretty much every bit of Razor Ramon down at this point, except for the Cuban accent, huh? Yeah, he had the toothpick in his mouth. I will say he definitely looked a lot bigger. He looked like he was on the same diet that Broski's on right now, you know? Mm. <laughs> Not quite as lean as he was when he was Scott Hall, but uh, definitely chiseled, a big boy. <laughs> Yeah, um, so this the big my biggest problem with this match is is the liberal interference during the entirety of this match from DDP. Literally the first move of the match, they lock up and Tom Zink goes to bounce off the ropes and DDP jumps up and pulls the top rope down, and the referee is just watching him do it, right? Mm. There's another part where Tom Zink has the Z-Man pinned and DDP has to reach in and break up the pin, and he literally like touches the referee's head while he's doing it right (laughs) yeah and i hate this shit with the over interference from the manager and i get you're trying to get over the fact that he's crafty and he's always going to do these sort of things like you're going to get more mileage out of the manager doing one thing than you are the manager doing like 15 things that being said diamond stud wins this match is whatever yeah, and, and there's a point of diminishing returns where if your manager is interfering constantly, you kind of make your guy look less credible, you know, and you're trying yeah. to build a new star. And it's like, all right, well, if he really needs 27 instances of interference to beat the Z-Man, you know, how good can he be? Right. Uh, so next up, we have Ron Simmons taking on Oz. Accompanied to the ring by the Grand Wizard, the Great Wizard, whatever the hell they called him. Uh, the Great Wizard was Kevin Sullivan. Ah, Kevin see, Sullivan yes, doing, like, quadruple duty on the night, right? <laughs> yeah, except for the one time he was announced he didn't come out. Right. Uh, and, hey, how crazy is this? These two matches back-to-back, Diamond Stud and Oz. 
where these guys would be in their careers, okay, three years later, but, like, in WCW five years later. You know what I mean? Like, how crazy the world of professional wrestling changes. Yeah, just absolute top guys. And shout out to the Castle Grayskull entrance that Oz had. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so th- this was another match that was a little bit too long. It was fine. Both guys took far too many bumps for my liking in the, uh, in the bore offer match of Ron Simmons taking on goddamn Kevin Nash. I'm like, why are these guys leaving their feet so much? What the hell's going on here, guys? But yeah. this was the beginning of them, uh, to start the babyface push of Ron Simmons because Ron Simmons was going to be the first challenger for Lex winning the title here tonight. Spoilers for the you know main event, or not even not even the fucking main event. But um, yeah. one thing I did notice in this match, much like Broski, Kevin Nash also not a drop to old guy. <laughs> yeah, Nash Nash doesn't do too many bumps as you mentioned before. But I, I'm a little sad that you ruined the 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 spoiler of Kevin Sullivan being underneath the or I'm sorry the wizard mask. Because I was going to say that the wizard went on to become Darkness Crabtree. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next we have the Rock and Roll Express explode as uh, Ricky Morton takes on Robert Gibson. Now, I wanted to go through a thing and say, like, oh, man, here's who's dead in these matches and stuff like that. How about this? Ricky Morton in this match, 1991, had been wrestling at this point for maybe about 10 years, Okay. Mm. Ricky Morton wrestling broski this weekend for GCW. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this was actually one of the few matches on the show that were actually built up on TV. Um, like, so like diamond stud versus Z man is a cold match. Just thrown on the pay-per-view Ron Simmons versus Oz, just a cold match thrown on pay-per-view. Uh, Bobby Eaton and Steve Austin have a rivalry, but like Pia News and the Red Rooster have nothing. That's just like a cold match, guys thrown in there, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Morton and Gibson goes 18 minutes, far too long. Um, the match started off hot and then it goes to like a feeling out process, which was really weird. Um, I do love that. So, Ricky Morton wins, whatever. Um, I do like that Ricky Morton joins the York Foundation, which is like supposed to be like the fancy business group, but he doesn't like change his gear or his outfit or his haircut or anything. (laughs) And when Ricky Morton wins, I forgot the shitty Dallas knockoff theme song that the York Foundation had. (laughs) And I loved it just really dates it when you look at this, the computer that Alexandra York was using like was basically like a speak and spell with like an old word processor. Yeah, like, it was I'm, a word processor. Yeah, I'm a very I'm an old Joe, but even that's old for me. Like looking at it, it had like a full keyboard on it and this tiny, tiny readout about the size of like a, a cell phone. Uh, it probably weighed 80 pounds. So <laughs> I weighed like a ring bell. <laughs> so the gimmick of Alexandra York and the York Foundation, all that sort of shit. The fact that she was supposed to be like this computer genius that she would put in like the strengths and weaknesses of the people in the match and be able to determine like how they would win and how long the match would take. And there would be like a bit early on where like, oh, well, you know, I know Michael Wall Street will beat so-and-so in X amount of time. And then Michael Wall Street would like beat the guy in that amount of time. Like, oh, the computer stuff works. And then you get to a point where like a baby face like breaks that time, right? So now you're like calling into question her abilities. 
So we have two York Foundation matches on the show, and at no point does that part of the gimmick ever even come up. Hmm. It's kind of a, a very early predecessor to Wink Vavasaur's Chikara metrics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, what's next? So next up, we have a six-man elimination tag team match as the Young Pistols, Tracy and Steve, take on the Freebirds of Jimmy Jam Garvin, Michael P.S. Hayes, who's wearing the same jacket that DDP was wearing three matches (laughs) earlier, and Fantasia. Now, uh, the Freebirds are heel. Uh, They had just turned babyface at the TV tapings the week prior that hasn't aired yet. They're also the U.S. champions. Uh, Fantasia is Brad Armstrong under a mask. Um, Dustin Rhodes is still doing a dead nuts on impersonation of his dad for all of his promos, which he would stop doing a couple months later. Uh, The Young Pistols from Cheyenne, Wyoming, just a few months previously, were the wild-eyed Southern boys with Confederate soldier outfits. Mm Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, Joe, I fell asleep during this match and I was woken up by a very loud Peacock commercial. <laughs> so I didn't see any of this. Now, but, uh, I like I was... this match. I know you said you fall asle- fell asleep during it. Kevin said he didn't like this match. I'll nitpick the match a little bit to say, like, the way that the eliminations would work. It was like somebody would get eliminated and then somebody would, like, immediately get eliminated. So there'd be no, uh, like no drama of like one of the teams being up or down or any sort of man number. Right. Mm. Um, but I will say they do a very good job of attempting to get over how devastating and deadly, uh, the DDT is in this match, uh, putting over how Fantasia does like that second rope DDT. That's called nine one one that he never does in the match. How there's a bunch of times where the Freebirds do a double DDT that the three people, like the two people doing it, the one person taking it, never could get their timing right. And it always looks like shit. But the commentators really tried hard to get that done. Um, And uh, Dustin Rhodes ends up being like the sole survivor for his team and he wins. Dustin yeah, Rhodes yeah. is like a guy, like I mentioned before, like Ron Simmons gets his win that he's like going to be positioned for like the whatever uh, championship, uh, the world championship. This was them starting to position Dustin for like the secondary championships. Yeah. U.S. or whatever that was. And yeah, U.S. Or wanna... title or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to throw in parenthetically a doot, doot, doot. <laughs> a lot of doot, doot, doot in this match. <laughs> uh, so next up we have, uh, Johnny B. Bad taking, uh, with, uh, Theodore R. Long, his manager, taking on the yellow dog accompanied to the ring by man's best friend. And while the yellow dog may not be Brian Pillman, Adam, he's a big Brian Pillman fan so much so that he comes to the ring to Brian Pillman's music. And so much so that Jr. much like, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, give Jr. some slack. He's old. And he's, you know, he's been doing this forever. So sometimes he calls people by the wrong names and forgets the storylines, but he constantly called the yellow dog, Brian Pillman. (laughs) And Tony Schiavone would correct him and be like, Oh, we don't know. It's Brian Pillman. We just know yellow dog is a super fan of Brian Pillman. Very similar styles. (laughs) So I will say as they're showing the crowd, uh, they do show, uh, I would say 
super famous wrestling fan Vlad in the crowd uh, released the Vlad, Vlad documentary hashtag. Um, and uh, Adam, so you watched this on Peacock, right? Yeah, I did. I watched my VHS of the original uh, pay-per-view airing. Um, do they cut out the part when Yellow Dog looks into the camera and says, he's not Johnny B. Bad, more like Johnny B. Gay? So when I, like I had mentioned that I fell asleep during the previous match. So I was woken up by the commercial. And when I looked up at the screen, Johnny B. Bad was coming out and the yellow dog was already in the ring. So I don't know if they did the yellow dog's entrance and then went to commercial and then did Johnny B. Bad's entrance. Or if they just cut to it with yellow dog already in the ring. And you had mentioned this kind of segment or that this was going to happen. So I tried paying attention and I did not catch it. So I feel like it was edited out or okay. it wasn't like at the very, very beginning or was it during the match? It was at the very beginning. Like both guys are in the ring and okay, so Johnny B. Bad's it, like parading around with his cape and yeah. Teddy Long is helping him take off the cape. Okay. And yeah. If they were both in the ring, then it was cut out. Okay, because I know there like was a I time said, where it wasn't cut out. Yeah, so if, because as I said, I saw it when Johnny B. Bad was coming out with Yellow Dog already in the ring, and I had feared that I had missed it, but I wasn't going to go back and look for it, you know? Got it def- it. And then it, after after Yellow Dog does that, he then kind of leads the crowd in chanting uh, the F slur at Johnny B. Bad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the crowd is more than happy to oblige uh, in doing so. Um, This match, again, is fine. It's built around the bounty that's on the mask to unmask the yellow dog to prove that he is Brian Pillman. Um, I think this was originally on the pay-per-view before they switched things around, that it was supposed to be a taped fist match between Barry Windham and uh, the, the yellow dog. So, again, this is another cold match. Just thrown on pay-per-view with no build, no TV, nothing. Um, And the match ends where um, Johnny B. Bad had just like, he was in control of the match trying to take the mask off of the Yellow Dog. Yellow Dog makes a slight comeback, and Teddy Long just comes into the ring to cause the disqualification. Yeah. Uh, And also, the announcers, it's hard for me to kind of understand the context because it's 20 something years ago. So when you're watching things, you're like, Oh, kind of that's cringy. That's cringy. That's cringy. But like both Shivani and Jr. are constantly saying things like, you know, don't let Johnny B. Bad's, you know, flamboyant persona or, or look dissuade you. He is actually tough, you know, and it's just all cringy commentary because it's like saying, Oh, don't let the fact, that he kind of looks gay, make you think that he can't win a fight or whatever. And then I'm just kind of thinking like by 20 years ago, 30 years ago standards, was that like douchey to say, or is it just douchey now? You know? So I'm like, it was just all very uncomfortable, even though there was probably no malice in what they were saying. It just came off very bad, you know? Well, gay panic gimmicks are like not old in wrestling, but like, to to see something from the 80s or 90s where they're doing it in 2022, obviously our sensibilities have changed and I'd like to think that we're all a little bit different of uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, this is very early in the Johnny B. Bad character 
we're like a few months away from him looking in the camera saying like, I'm so pretty. I should have been born a little girl. Um, them changing his finisher to the kiss that don't miss and him putting like a red, like a big giant, like red Ruby sticker of lips on the guy's face after he knocks them out. So like, like if they weren't getting the desired reaction of people like chanting homophobic shit at this guy, like over the next like three months, they're like, well, we got to try harder to get those chants, you know? (laughs) Um, So, and, and, and that's the other thing is like, so it's 1991, like, we're talking like two, three years later before the Hogan era, like Johnny B. Bad, like becomes one of like their top baby faces. So one would like, and you know, and because even though they weren't trying to be so WCW was still very much a Southern promotion. And the fact that they were able to get a guy like this, a guy doing this character, not only over, but over as a baby face to predominantly Southern crowds, I think just goes to show you how much talent, Mark Merrow had to kind of overcome and in spite of the gimmick that he was saddled with become, you know, a, a top player in wrestling for a period of time, you know? Yeah. And uh, Kimberly didn't hurt, right? He was associated with Kimberly for of a little course. bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so next we get to a thing where um, boy commentator, roving reporter, Eric Bischoff is tasked with the assignment that he has to go interview Missy Hyatt in her locker room. Mm-hmm. Now, what ends up happening is Eric Bischoff goes in. Missy's not in the locker room. She's a little bit deeper into the locker room taking a shower. Eric walks in on her. She chases him out yelling pervert. We cut back to Jr. and Tony, and the two of them are like, boy, I wish I had that assignment. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of what their characters are today on social media. Um, <laughs> so my biggest problem with this segment is on how long it was. Like the 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 slow creepingness and the <laughs> lecherousness of Eric Bischoff. And like as he's walking through Missy's locker room. And he's looking through her clothes and he's trying to find her. And then he sees her in the shower and he's like, oh, I think she's in the shower. Like if this segment is isolated out there somewhere, just how long this like it was maybe three minutes. It felt like a half hour. Um, (laughs) Just like how long it took for Eric to creep through her locker room to get to the shower and everything else like that was so lecherous. But this, you know, if you're a longtime WCW watcher, this is a callback, a payoff to Adam. You might remember this from actual sports, that there was a thing, uh, a big to do about letting women reporters into the locker room after games to interview guys. Yeah, sure. So uh, maybe like a year or two prior, WCW like ripped from the headlines. They decided that they were going to do a thing and Missy was going to be the one that she was the roving reporter and she was going to go back and interview like the Z-Man or Brian Pillman or one of the young hunks, the young studs in WCW. And she goes into the locker room and instead she's accosted by a sweaty towel wearing Stan the Lariat Hanson, right? (laughs) So there's your joke there. But now here we are a year or two later and the shoe is on the other foot where like Eric Bischoff is now the creep going into the locker room on Missy. So even if you have that little bit of information from like your WCW lore that they don't probably even have, there's like a little bit of a like haha with that. But this that segment was very distressing and creepy. 
Yeah, and then 15 years later, Vince in his XFL was doing the gimmick where they were advertising that, like, oh, we're going to have cameras in the cheerleaders' locker rooms. I'm surprised Eric didn't take credit for that when that happened with the XFL. It's like, oh, what about the time I was creepy on Missy High in the locker room? (laughs) Well, you haven't listened to every episode of 83 Weeks, so maybe it was on there somewhere. (laughs) Uh, So next up, we have a lumberjack match of Big Josh taking on Black Blood. Black Blood, so uh, Big Josh, who's announced from the Deep Woods... And Black Blood, who's announced from a small town in France. <laughs> now, I neglected to mention earlier, was it Z-Man who came out with a bunch of ladies? Uh, yeah, Z-Man came out with like six six blondes or something like that. Yeah, so in this, in this match, Big Josh, not a heartthrob, not a hunk, literally would be doink six months later, comes out with, I think, the same women, just in cut-off shorts instead of bikinis. <laughs> got to recycle the girls i guess i guess this is another uh, go ahead i was just gonna say and and joe like it take you know there's different strokes for different folks i mean just because he's a big burly man there's there's women that are into that i guys and women that are into. i was gonna say i read the comments on a lot of certain youtube channels there's a lot of guys that are into it too which is cool yeah Uh, so (laughs) this is another match that had little to no build on tv let alone it being a gimmick match um there's a bunch of times where, like, the Lumberjacks are brawling on the outside. It's to draw the attention of the referee. Black Blood goes to get his actual axe to try to apparently kill Big Josh. I'm not clear. Yeah, yeah he wanted then, to do a murder. To do a murder. And then Dustin Rhodes gets Big Josh's axe handle because Big Josh is a lumberman, but he doesn't come out to the ring with an actual axe. He just comes out with the axe handle. Huh? So <laughs> Dustin takes the axe handle, waffles, poor black blood in the leg, and that leads to the finish. Um, black blood is Billy Jack Haynes. Ah, yes. Who can forget? I don't know who Billy Jack Haynes is. <laughs> he had he was an 80s wrestler uh, whose gimmick was that he was from Oregon. That was his gimmick. Mm. Um, initially, it was supposed to be Billy Jack, like, you know, the movies Billy Jack. Are you aware of those movies from the 70s, Billy Jack? Joe, I, I'm, I'm I'm old, but I'm not that okay. old. Uh, but I will say in his later years, um, Bill, Billy Jack Haynes has become like one of those like crazy people to do shoot interviews with all these wild conspiracies that like Vince McMahon's the one who killed Nancy Sullivan and the kid <laughs> because uh, she was having an affair with Vince and Benoit found out about it. Like Billy Jack Haynes is like off his fucking rocker these days. So... Yeah. Do with that information what you will. And and Black Blood was announced as supposedly coming out with Kevin Sullivan, but he didn't show up, you know, which is weird. Kevin Sullivan not there because Kevin Sullivan has to come out to do his promo, uh, which was a long rambling mess uh, prior to the match of his other charge, the one-man gang, taking on Eligante. Eligante, who comes down to the ring with several little people. Now, I couldn't tell from my VHS copy... Was the one that Eligante was carrying, was that Tiger Jackson, a.k.a. Dink? 
Again, Joe, you're asking the absolute wrong person. You're at, was it the little person who was wearing clown makeup and like a wig and a full head to toe bodysuit? Was that the same guy as the guy who was like not wearing makeup that was being carried out? Were you able to like match the nose size or the distance from like ear to ear? <laughs> Before he was dink, he would wrestle on like WWF TV in multi-man matches where it would be like, the Beverly brothers and the genius taking on um, the Bushwhackers and Tiger Jackson. And then Tiger Jackson became, and again, this is what his name was, the macho midget. And then Tiger Jackson went from being the macho midget to becoming Dink. So there's been like, it was on, like he was on Monday night raw in the early days as Tiger Jackson. So I don't know, maybe somebody else listening out there, who's more steeped in their little person lore uh, could help us out. <laughs> yeah. So no shock, this match was terrible. Hmm. Uh, one man gang tried real hard. Uh, Eligante has a very uh, interesting way of selling, let's say. <laughs> um, he throws his arms up like a T-Rex or like a, the thriller dance, you know, where he's like, it's hard to do on an audio podcast, but like up up near his head, like he's a, a vampire from a 1920s movie. <laughs> yeah, as as a legit seven foot seven man, he's like throwing his body and his arms back and up in the air with such ferocity that he's trying to play to the back row. Like he was definitely <laughs> instructed to sell that way. And Jim Ross was sure making a lot of excuses for how bad Elegante was in this match. Um <laughs> But again, they they thought Eligante was going to be like their next Andre the Giant, but they absolutely overexposed and overworked him. Yeah, he looked like he was blown up within 20 seconds of the match. You know, right. like either that or he's just really good at selling that he's exhausted. But he was slow. He was awkward. He either oversold everything or completely undersold everything. Like I can get like if you're a giant and you're not selling things, but like you have to at least react as if you were hit, you know, and there were times when he was hit and he just wasn't even acknowledging it. And for being so big, you could almost make up for being slow and awkward and not being able to sell if you have like hard hitting stiff offense, but his offense, he was like throwing punches like Riho, you know, there was just nothing behind anything that he did. There was one point where he did like a suplex, like a snap suplex of one man gang. And that was kind of impressive given uh, one man gang size, but that was legitimately the only time where he even came off strong in the match. You know, he was just a very tall guy who just couldn't do anything right. And I had never seen Eligante until he was giant Gonzalez and he showed up in the full fur bodysuit with the muscles right. painted on. So uh, afterwards I saw like little clips here and there, but I'd never seen a full match of him, especially where he was presented as, as you mentioned, this up and coming blue chip guy who was ranked in the top 10. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was prior to this, like the, um, spring, early summer house show program was Eligante versus Ric Flair for the title. <laughs> and another thing I just want to say real quick before we move on, I had never seen one man gang without a mohawk. Pretty badass look, you know, with the full head of crazy hair. Yeah, one man gang, like I said, he he worked his ass off, man, to try something in this match, but he had no he had no one out there to help him. 
Yeah. Oh, and even when uh, Kevin Sullivan was attempting to hit Eligante with like the wrench, he was like trying to pull him down, pull Eligante down, and Eligante kept like moving away, you know, just not knowing what was going on. And like Sullivan tries grabbing Eligante by the head, and it just the referee's trying to like not look as long as he can, you know, to allow the spot to happen. But Eligante keeps pulling away, and eventually Sullivan's like, I don't know, hit him in the leg, I guess. <laughs> So next up, we have the first of our triple main event as Nikita Koloff takes on Sting in a Russian chain match. We get a video uh, thing hyping up this match, the history between these two competitors, and this match gets two and a half stars. Both guys tried really hard, but I hate, 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 hate the touch the four corner stipulation in any sort of like chain or bull rope match. And doing a bloodless, they were in Baltimore, more on that later, a bloodless vendetta chain match just, like, means nothing. Yeah. I really liked the video buildup of this match showing, you know, as you mentioned, there's very little on this pay-per-view that had any buildup, but this is apparently something that had many weeks of television to kind of tell the story. And I thought they did a good job of getting that over in the video package. And I agree, this the strap match concept is so antiquated and even then looked hokey, but like now looking back at it, it's terrible. It's very inconsistent, like what would break up the count? You know, there would be long periods yeah. where both men would be down and low blowed, where the referee is like, no, we're still good. We're going to the next number. You know, it just seemed like a lot of the, the big matches on this show were rushed through. And this was after some, like, initial brawling outside that feels like they rushed to the finish. Yeah. Um, like I said, th- these guys were in a rough spot. It's all I'm going to say. Uh, so next, second to top from the main, we have our world title cage match. As U.S. champion Lex Luger takes on new number one contender Barry Windham. Now, I will give the announcers, particularly JR, credit for doing as good as a job as they can, making the best out of the situation they were handed. Not that they built up the match between Lex Luger and Ric Flair on TV worth a lick. It was just literally like, Lex is the U.S. champion, and U.S. champion's technically the number one contender for the world title, so they're going to have a match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they built up the history between the two guys that they were former tag team partners, former tag team champions, and they never really got a chance to like close their rivalry. So this is a way to do it. Um, you know, Barry Windham has the, the, uh, he's got the experience, the technique and everything else over like Lex, but this is now Lex's time. Um, and then during the match, uh, as, as the finish is about to come Harley race who had not been on TV um, in WCW for months, and Mr. Hughes, who was the bodyguard of the York Foundation, come out. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Hughes is on one side of the cage, distracts the referee. Harley Race goes to the other side of the cage, tells Lex Luger, now is the time. Lex Luger gives Barry Windham a pile driver. This is supposed to be Lex Luger's heel turn, but Lex Luger gives Barry... Windham, the pile driver, wins the match to a huge baby face ovation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I didn't get this because I didn't know the context of it because my Lex Luger has always been a heel Lex Luger, right. you know, just from my time in watching it. But very out of the blue. I love how he 
he meaning Lex Luger had to be told like, Oh, now you can go and finish the match as if it could have been done at any point during the match, which kind of seemed weird. And a lot of, we want Ric Flair. We want flair chance for this. Yeah, match. This, this is where the, we want flair chance start almost throughout the entirety of this match. And Baltimore was notoriously like a smart crowd. And you had like the smarkiest of smarks at this event. Um, you know, once everything was kind of known what was going on with Ric Flair, they all wanted to be there to see what WCW was going to do to try to salvage this. Yeah. Uh, I also particularly enjoyed the fact that uh, during commentary, it was said that, oh, there's some new moves from Lex Luger as he was doing like a sleeper and then a DDT. Like they were really impressed about how how much wider his offense is. And, I didn't know uh, he knew that hold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how the hell... Maybe we'll talk about this. Maybe we won't. Or if you know, how does this not go on last? Like you're going to have your big world title match where you're going to turn a guy, you're going to crown a guy, and then you're going to finish with what you finished with. Okay. Especially if you have the the steel cage set up or whatever, you know? So it's going to be a double cage match, right? Uh, Like two, two, double, double main event, double cage match. We're supposed to get Missy Hyatt and Rick Steiner taking on Arn Anderson and Pauly Dangerously, okay? Mm-hmm. The reason the title match doesn't go on last is twofold. One, they felt as though Lex turning heel would deflate the crowd and they didn't want to send already a hostile crowd home unhappy with a heel turn. But also, I mentioned before with the the Sting and Nikita Koloff bloodless chain match, right? Mm-hmm. State of Maryland has a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. You think Pennsylvania's bad? You think New York's bad? You think Kentucky's bad? Maryland's got them all beat, right? In hyping up and promoting a match on their pay-per-view that was going to have man on woman, no one at WCW cleared it with the Maryland State Athletic Commission to have a man and a woman wrestle each other, even in an exhibition contest. So the reason that match went on last was they were trying to figure out a way to get out of this fucking match without having Missy and Polly touch. So they were like right up until the match, they were kind of booking or scrambling. Yes. So the way they end up doing it is Polly and double a come out, they get into the ring, Missy and Rick Steiner come out and Missy's just a few steps behind uh, Rick Steiner Missy Hyatt, by the way, even though dark hair, height of her powers, I'd say. <laughs> she had a, she had a run from 1984 to 1994 that I'd put up against anyone. <laughs> um, and as she comes out, the hardliners, Dirty Dick Slater and Dick Murdoch, come out and kidnap Missy and take her to the back, or at least try to, because Missy looks like she's really putting up a fight. And as she's doing so, a fan takes a swing at Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch, allegedly a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan, one of the toughest sons of bitches in the world, and a fan is going to take a swing at him. Dick Murdoch looked like he was going to kill that kid. <laughs> and there was a security guy a foot away who, like, took his sweet time responding yep. to that fan interaction. So it ends up being a singles match. Again, a heatless singles match between Rick, Rick Steiner and Arn Anderson, who are not feuding, not programmed together on TV in any way, shape, or form, with Pauly being the manager. Pauly was even the manager of Arn Anderson at that time. 
Um, just being allowed to be in the ring. I think the actual match portion goes three minutes. Rick Steiner wins and then leaves. And then that's how we leave the show. <laughs> well, we leave the show with a, a shot of the commentary table where they just talk about like what you had just watched, which is always the most awkward way to end a pay-per-view. Yeah. But I think, Joe, what this really tells us all is we need to finish this feud with a Brock Anderson versus Braun Breaker match. Uh, I think we'll get get that match as a WrestleMania main event in about 15 years. (laughs) All right. So so, this was your pick. What would you think of the show, huh? Wasn't it great? Oh, you know what? It it delivered on what I expected it. (laughs) It was not good. Um. A lot of just gimmick match after gimmick match and bunch of people who couldn't wrestle or on the decline or on the upswing of their career. And uh, it, it, it did exactly what I had hoped it would do. Okay. So um, here's what I say you do with this show. Okay. Um, you could have salvaged something out of what you had here. Okay. So you completely scrap... Diamond Stud Z-Man, Ron Simmons Oz, um, fucking Big Josh Black Blood, and uh, Yellow Dog and Johnny B. Bad. All those matches are just completely scrapped from the show, right? Okay. You still do the scaffold match, eat uh, Bobby Eaton versus Steve Austin, but you make it like non-title to like kind of help elevate and whatever their feud. Side note. That match got like negative three stars and one worst match of the year, 1991, in the mm-hmm. Wrestling Observer. It still sticks in Steve Austin's ass to this day. On the Broken Skull Sessions that happened last year with Seth Rollins, where the fucking Fiend versus Seth Rollins match, not the Saudi Arabia one, but the other one, one worst match of the year in the Wrestling Observer. Like, Austin's like, ah, oh, I got a worst match of the year too, man. 1991, he still brings it up. It still kills him that he got worst match of the year in 1991. Because he was such a great worker at that time. Like, he was in the ring. And to to have that punch and kick fest and crawl fest, you know? Right. Okay, so we we do Eaton versus Austin as the uh, scaffold match, right? Mm -hmm. We take the Freebirds and the Young Pistols, and we just have that be a straight-up tag for the U.S. titles, Okay. Uh, we still do Morton versus Gibson. Of course, that's a match that's been built on TV. Argue it, you know, we still do One Man Gang versus Eligante. That was a match that was built on TV. Um, now, what we then do is, of course, we still do Sting versus Nikita with a chain match. Again, a match that's been built on TV. Um, and Lex versus Barry. We have that be the actual main event and fuck it. We take the Missy and Polly thing out of the cage, and what we do is we do like kind of a quasi Survivor Series thing, where it's like Team Missy, where she picked five guys, and Team Polly, he picked five guys, right? Mm-hmm. So you take your five guys from people that have been left over on the t- on the show, and you have that be your elimination match, right? You do four on four, you do five on five, whatever the hell it is, and the if Missy wins. She gets five minutes in the ring alone with Paulie. If Paulie wins, he gets five minutes alone in the ring with Missy, right? Yeah, and do that. that Pay that stipulation off somewhere else. Yeah, and then that's how you get, like, all these guys in the crowd. You get your elimination match. You don't have to have the woman in the actual match. You could just do the physicality post-match where she gets to beat the shit out of Paulie, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then like like Paul like and Missy's team is like guys that are left over on the crowd. It's Dust on the show. It's Dustin Rhodes. It's Z Man. It's uh, Rick Steiner. It's Ron Simmons or whatever it is, right? And then the other guys that are left over. That's Paulie's team. Where it's Diamond Stud. It's Oz. Um, you know, it's Arn. It's whomever else. And then you do a, an elimination match out of that. So yeah, that definitely would have been, been good I want to go back to 1991 and rebook uh, Great American Bash. Let me get in the <laughs> meetings with Dusty and Jim Hurd, and we could have workshopped this shit out, no problem. <laughs> well, I just saw on Twitter that they're rebooting Quantum Leap, and that's kind of what you're doing. You're going back and you're putting what right what once went wrong. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so my homework assignment from next week, it just debuted, uh, Tuesday on Jerry's internet wrestling emporium. And that is flying V fights back. Um, it's, uh, again, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 matches, but I have a feeling that it's going to flow much better, uh, than the great American bash. Uh, if you, uh, do not have Jerry's internet wrestling emporium, AKA independent wrestling.tv, Use our promo code when you sign up at odds. You don't get anything free out of it, but we get like a little bit of a kickback if you become a paid subscriber and stick with them for a long time. Yep. And I'm looking forward to watching this. Have been for a while because they uh, booked the boar. Yeah. The main event was the boar versus uh world famous CB, uh, a more contrast of styles you'll never see. And uh, maybe I might try to wring some information about uh the show, the match or whatever from the boar himself, you know? <laughs> yeah, slide into those DMs. That's right. Um, hey, you could also help us out, support us by uh, making a purchase through our T Public store. Uh, you can get that link at tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes. They're the mothership of the soon-to-be-named network. Check them out. Uh, I think until the end of the day on Friday, everything is 35% off through there. So whether you're getting at-odds designs on shirts or cell phone covers or notebooks, 35% off until the end of the day on Friday. Uh, you can also help us out by making any and all of your purchases through the Amazon affiliate link that's in the show notes to every single one of these episodes. Uh, they, Amazon, call it an advertising fee because if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't know that Amazon exists. I call it the thing that makes Adam happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the fucking money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click through this past week include uh, somebody rented digitally. Uh, the movie Pop Star Never Stop Never Stop Stoppin'. <laughs> that title just rolls off the tongue. Uh, who's the guy that was in Hot Rod and Brooklyn Nine Nine? What's his name? An- um, Andy Samberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy Samberg's comedy kind of passed me by a little bit. Um, I don't know no Hot Rod. I don't know this movie. People tell me it's funny. I'll never know. But thank you for purchasing it through our link. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I've never been a Brooklyn Nine-Nine guy or a Sandberg guy. Right. Uh, and somebody also purchased Foco brand NFL team logo reusable uh, face masks, a three-packs, a three-pack uh, in the team of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and again, I, I completely understand, you know, everything that's going on in the world. I'd want to cover my face if I was a Steelers fan as well. Whatever. But anyway, thank you to anyone, everyone who's made the purchases 
through the Amazon click through, whether it be this week, last week, this month or this year. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Other things we do appreciate, Joe, is some of the other podcasts, both in and outside of the soon to be named network. And those podcasts are Longbox Heroes, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Porch Talk, Hit My Music, Wrestling Cheers, Between the Sheets, Viewer's Choice, IWTV Guide, Hellions Talks, Pod Van Dam, and The A-Show. Two-time champ, The A-Show. And hey, I made everyone wait to the very end of the show to do voicemails. Oh, completely forgot about that. I know you forgot. (laughs) All right. First call. Hey, Adam and Joe. This is Andy Hedder, professional wrestler and comic book uh, enthusiast. I know that's two things that never go together in one person. Anyway, (laughs) I like that you guys are no longer doing the likes and dislikes segment. It was really entertaining, and I enjoyed it. And I also dislike the fact that I apparently missed the show last week. And I didn't get to vote on Twitter or whatever you guys had to vote to keep the segment. So please keep the segment. It's enjoying, or I enjoy it, and uh, it's creative. And also, Adam, Alexa Bliss will always be the face of women's professional wrestling. Nothing against Tay Conte, but Alexa Bliss, come on. Anyway, keep it. I like it. Get it? Haha. <laughs> See you guys later. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. And yes, you did miss the show. Uh, he was not the only one who reached out to me both privately and publicly. And was like, oh, man, you guys got rid of likes and dislikes. And I'm like, we fucking talked about it for like two weeks. We put it up to a vote and nobody called in. <laughs> well, you know what? I will say we've been doing what we are currently doing, you know, just kind of talking points for, what, two weeks now? Yeah. And like, I feel like even this week was a little bit better than last week. You know, it's got to to kind of take a a week or two or three to kind of feel it out and uh, see where we're at with it. You know, I have enjoyed the format the last two weeks, you know, and maybe that'll translate. I think Andy was basing it on having kind of heard after the fact. So I don't know. I appreciate him calling in and voicing it. But we'll we'll go with this for a couple weeks and we'll see where it takes us. And maybe maybe we'll move back. We don't know. I'll say a week in between last week and this week's episode, I was fucking hot. I'm like, where are all these people saying they wanted to keep likes and dislikes? And now they're telling us after we've kind of sort of gotten rid of it. But after (laughs) we did this week's kind of just like talking about whatever, I'm on board. I'm okay. Likes and dislikes being gone. Likes and dislikes still exist kind of sort of. It's just not called likes and dislikes. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like a a repackaging is all it is. Yeah. and and one other thing, I will I will give credit where credit's due. Alexa Bliss really is the original face of women's wrestling. The face, <laughs> the face. But uh, I I feel like this uh, this current gimmick is not doing her any justice. And I was hoping, and this obviously we didn't talk about at any point during our likes dislikes or our discussion points when they were teasing that she was coming back last week uh, i was like please just bring her back and just scrap the the fiend lore nonsense just please just have her show up and just go back like as if it had never happened you know she got hit it but she like something fell on her head and it knocked the fiendness out of her <laughs> she's going back to normal uh but no we got the stupid harley quinn uh doctor's appointment stuff stuff so but i do agree uh tay conti might be getting all the press now but uh i respect my roots when it comes to alexa though a uh, devil baby clown's not doing it for you adam 
Uh, it's 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 slightly a turnoff, man. <laughs> slightly? <laughs> Maybe a lot. I don't know. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, I completely forgot that right behind me is a cardboard cutout of Height of Powers Alexa Bliss. So I just gave that a good look-see. <laughs> yeah. I miss the music. I really liked her like her theme song. Like she had such a banger of a theme song. Like when that opening strands hit, it was like I wouldn't be as crazy as say it was like Austin level, but the best theme songs in wrestling and WWE have like a bit at the beginning that like kind of is the intro to the song. And hers was so strong and now is the demon baby clown. She doesn't have that music. So yeah. it's they, not the same. And I even, and again, I saw this on Twitter, so I don't know how true it is, but I don't think even if she turns back to the normal Alexa, I don't think we're going to get that theme anymore. Cause it was something with them not owning the rights. Cause they let go of somebody that, produced that or something it was one of those theme songs that they wanted to phase out because they don't have to pay the guy or something again i'm hearing little bits and pieces of it and that's why they kind of went with like four different theme songs during that transition to like evil baby clown girl good lord so i i don't think like even if she goes back to being the goddess you know the old school gimmick we might not get that theme again which is sad yeah very sad all right what's next thanks for the call next, next call thank you for calling andy Hello, Adam. Hello, Joe. This is Kevin Ford, a.k.a. Yes, my Kevin, although I suppose you and Kevin Hellions will be the judge of that next week. Anyways, I was calling to answer the inquiry you had about giveaways for wrestling finishes in the past. And I think the biggest one that always comes to mind when I think of that is Hulk Hogan versus Yokozuna from King of the Ring 1993, where they had the, quote, Japanese press ringside for that match and it just so happened that one of them had like a, a flash paper fireball thing in their camera to use on Hulk so Yokozuna could defeat him never mind that they never have had press around the ring for any other events not even at Wrestlemania 9 when Yokozuna won the title the first time so that was like a, a big giveaway of like something fishy when you see all these press around the ring when they're not present ever uh, also found it weird they never closed the loop on that storyline. Um, I know that in real life, allegedly it was Harvey Whipplin playing the role, but legit like three or four weeks after that angle happened, Jim Cornette became the U S spokesperson for Yokozuna. So I thought it would have been awesome if they just said that he was the one who did it, close the loop on that, build that new foundation, whatever. And then another one that always comes to mind is when you get a draw or a time limit in a match and it's in a company that doesn't usually do time limits or announce the times during the matches. I think this may have been the case with Adam and I for the one-hour match between Yuta and Garcia. Like, the way they wrestled, <coughs> excuse me, gave away if they were going to go a long time. But I think maybe at, like, the 30-minute mark or, like, the 20-minute mark and then, like, 45 and all this, they were starting to do time cues where I don't feel like they always do that for IWTV title matches. Um, and I remember again when, uh, like years earlier, uh, there was a Ring of Honor show I went to. It was Off Mary's and Brian Danielson versus the Motor City Machine Guns, and it went to a 20-minute time limit. And it was like Bobby Cruz calls like two minutes left, and I remember just looking at my friend being like, "All right, well, we know how this is going to go." And sure enough, it went to a draw. They did a five-minute overtime, went to a draw again. And so my advice is if you run a company and you ever think, hey, maybe we're going to do a time limit draw, if, if, and 
start now. Start doing those time keys now in those matches. Five minutes is fast, ten minutes fast, whatever, so that when you do decide to do it, you've already established it and isn't a dead giveaway. And if you're a company that knows, like, I think time limits things suck, we don't ever have to do them, then, hey, that's great, too. Uh, but, yeah, it's just such an obvious giveaway when you don't do them all the time and then you do them for a match that, oh, yeah, we're going to go to a time limit or a draw or whatever else. So those are the ones that stick out for me. Hope you boys are doing well, and I will hopefully see you soon. Stay safe. Hmm. Um, I, I just want to say, as John Thorne says, that ringside photographers are just people trying to get out of buying a ticket. So <laughs> never trust any of them. <laughs> but I also want to thank Kevin for bringing back just such a painful memory of being stuck at that performance center gym slash garage and having to sit through that hour long slog of a match. But I agree with everything he said. Yeah, so I think they closed the loop on the photographer in an article in WF Magazine, of all places, right? Did Vic um, Venom break the news? <laughs> I think he may have. That sounds like something <laughs> that Vic would have been all over. Um, very similarly to, they did this whole fantasy storyline uh, for the 1988 main event with the two Hebners, screw, the like the fake Hebner that was paid off. By DiBiase, they did like a five-page essay on how they were jealous of each other growing up, and like this whole thing that was like completely unnecessary. Um, but yeah, so that's definitely something when you see like the extra photographer type people at ringside. Um, that's definitely a tip off. And I think there was a period of time where WCW probably during the Bill Watts era, if I was to guess, where every single match they did the thing where they would announce like five minutes have gone by how much time is remaining. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think it just got to a point where like, because they were doing it in every match, um, they stopped, like they were doing it in every match, but then they wouldn't do time limit finishes. So they were doing it for no reason. And it was one of those things like, well, we're doing it to establish that people are aware of the time limit thing. So eventually when we do a time limit draw, it's less of a surprise. Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I guess. I don't know. They're trying, man. Yeah. But thank you for the call, Kevin. Yes. And just never do time limit draws again on an indie show. <laughs> Didn't wasn't there a uh Trent Beretta versus Chuck Taylor match on the Orange Cassidy is doing something whatever match that went to a time limit draw, but I think the time limit of the match was seven <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I think it was a one minute Iron Man match. That's what it was. Yeah, and that, that's okay, because then they had, like, a 10-second extension as well. <laughs> right. All right, next call. Hey, Joe. Hey, Adam. Uh, this is Tom Green. Um, I tried to think about your prompt that you said on Twitter. Was your prompt about, like, ring gear or uh, cues or something that, was, that would be, like, a giveaway uh, of a mat of something that were to happen? I, I'm sure there's a lot on the indie scene. I just can't think of them because the DRSs are really, really bad at telegraphing everything. Um, I definitely say back in the day, whenever anybody who normally didn't wear a shirt wore a shirt to the ring, it meant they were joining the NWO. And like, <laughs> um, also, why is Ultramanus doing this bit where he calls in and says he's this guy named Arthur that's like really strong? I don't understand. That. Like that's that's clearly that's clearly Mantis, right? I mean, like call and say that he's himself. I, I don't get it. 
Um, I'm, I'm sure the bit's fine. I just can't get past that part of it. So, uh, Mantis, next week, just, just be yourself, man. We, we all like you. All right. Bye. <laughs> so, yes, uh, that was one of those things that would always happen where, like, somebody would come out wearing a shirt and they would do the reveal of a different shirt underneath it. And that was always a tip off. It was like, I don't know. Buff Bagwell doesn't usually wear T-shirts. You know, what's going on here? Yeah. And, and you know what? That kind of reminded me because I'm just piling on to this topic. Uh, if you're going to have like a hardcore match, if you're wearing a white shirt or white gear, you're probably going to bleed. Yeah, you know, that's a that's good a one. Big, that's a big turn, like uh, a thing there. And I remember watching, uh, a re- I forget who he was wrestling, uh, but uh, Dark Order Preston Vance, 10. Uh, he had switched from his normal mask that had like the hash, like the little hash marks or hatch marks that had the number 10 on his mask. He had switched over to the death stroke mask and he was wearing the death stroke mask for like a month. And then he had a random match where he went back to the old mask. And I was like, hmm, I bet you he's either going to bleed or that mask is going to get ripped. And it, both of those things happened. He both bled and the mask got ripped up. And then the next week he went back to the Deathstroke mask. So I'm like, oh, okay, he's ruining his old mask during this match. So it was kind of a tip off. It was the the title tournament thing where Moxley beat the shit out of him. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess uh, per what Tom is alleging there by the transitive properties of if Arthur MacArthur is Mantis, and you're Arthur MacArthur. Does that mean you're now words? <laughs> I might be. I was going to say, if anybody wants to get booked on the next LVAC show, slide into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I will say this. I did pitch uh, Artie to one of the um, the the Real Rumble shows, because uh, Mantis had contacted me. He's like, uh, I'm looking for people who have gimmicks. And like the first person that came to mind was like, Artie. And I oh, guess like, sweet. yeah, I guess it just didn't work out, whatever it was. But uh, Artie is, uh, Mantis is at least aware who Artie is. <laughs> That's awesome. And if if uh, they want me and Artie to do the twin magic spot, I'll do it for free. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll hide under the ring from before the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next call. Hey, guys. Kevin here. Uh, first, Kevin. So, apologies, I'm getting my call in very late. Uh, I believe only about two hours before the recording will begin tonight. So, that that's on me. Um, I have a leaky ceiling and a leaking roof. So, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the, uh, the After Dark talk. And, uh, Todd, how's my wall? Or mm-hmm. how's my ceiling in this case? Because uh, this has been going on for months now. So, Stay tuned for constant updates here on your add-ups with wrestling voicemail line. But anyway, back to business here. I actually had a good question last week, so let me see if I can get a good question again this week. Uh, while talking to my local independent wrestling promoter and while listening to the Card Subject to Change podcast with AIW's John Thorne and uh, stuff that Joe has mentioned before for inner workings of Chikara, I am in awe over how much goes into booking a show and how it's not just a simple task of this person versus this person. And we're done here. Just the logistics and who's arriving and who's going to be there and who might be traveling with them and how are we going to pair these people up and how are we going to plan ahead? And we can't do too much and we can't do too little. It is not 
a simple job, and I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And, and I hope that one day WWE figures out how to do it in a good way. But then there's also, Joe has mentioned some of his duties at various shows, and there is so much that goes into wrestling, uh, putting on an event of any size, and I, I think that outsiders like myself do not understand the work and the dedication that it takes for everything from top to bottom. Uh, so I'm just curious, my question for this week is, is there a position behind the scenes, not a wrestler, but behind the scenes in wrestling that either of you thought was an easy job or not, didn't take a lot of commitment, didn't take a lot of effort, that once you saw that job in action, you realized just how difficult it was, and you're glad that you don't have to do it. Looking forward to listening to the episode, guys. Talk to you later. Hmm. Um, thank you, Kevin. I will just start things off. I was always like in the early days, like obviously not anytime recently, but I always thought that the referees had a really easy job <laughs> until I kind of learned that, you know, for a lot of promotions, they're on like ring crew and that kind of stuff. And then obviously if you're on televised wrestling, having to communicate pretty much everything to the wrestlers, whether it be, you know, time spots, you know, go home, that kind of stuff, kind of like communicating injuries or changes to the match or, or really just the billion of things that referees or at least good ones are asked to do. Uh, so I was always under the impression that that was just the easiest gig on the planet. Uh, and it didn't help by the fact that Johnny Glitter wanted me to referee an entire show with no <laughs> like training whatsoever. So I always assumed it was just such an easy gig, but I was very wrong about that. Uh, there are no easy jobs in the world of professional wrestling, especially at the indie level. Uh, once you get up to the higher level, even, uh, you know, like the referees also have to do like road crew uh, or mm -hmm. ring crew. And I know in AEW, like the referees also have like other jobs as well that they're doing in AEW. So even up on the higher end levels of things, no job in the world of professional wrestling is easy. It's just if you're going to devote your time you better give all or nothing um, or, you know, you're just not going to cut it. And you need to be ready to have everything expected of you at a moment's notice with little to no provocation. Um, you know, obviously the promoter hopefully has got a good crew of people that are those sort of jack of all trades sort of types that are able and willing and ready. Like if, you need to drive the ring truck. You need to drive the ring truck. If you need to help carry shit into the building, you need to be able to do that. You need to know where the closest grocery store is to get ice. You need to be ready to go. But I would say the most important thing, especially on the indie level, is if you have a driver's license and a reliable car, that goes a long way. Uh, in getting you spots and opportunities. And I'll even go one further. Even if you don't have a reliable car, if you have a driver's license and you're willing to drive, that goes a long way as well. You'd be surprised on how many of your favorites may not get booked in tons of other places due to their unwillingness to drive. Oh, and one last thing before we move on. Another job that is really, 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 really hard, and I didn't realize how ridiculously hard it is to do, is commentary. So kudos to you and kudos to Kevin Ford and all the other good commentators that are listening to this. That's fucking hard. 
so yeah, you know what? Hey, and I'll say this, um, related but unrelated, um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, World Famous CB is doing two different seminars on two different weekends. Uh, one with the aforementioned Ian Riccoboni about commentary, and another one the following week with Bryce Remsburg about pretty much everything else. Um, each of those seminars are 50 bucks each. If you're in the Northeastern area, or even if you're not, hey, remember before when I mentioned about willingness to drive and having a reliable car? You literally cannot learn more from two of the more respected people in all of professional wrestling, and 50 bucks is a steal. I see people out there claiming to be 19-year vets offering up seminars for $20, and if that's $20 they're paying me to come to their seminar, I still wouldn't fucking go. Um, <laughs> but if you're an East Coast wrestler, if you're an East Coast person involved in wrestling, if you're a person involved in wrestling and you could get there that weekend, you got an extra 50 bucks. I tell you, man, you know, John Thorne even mentioned it on the Winchester show tonight, Chase Burnett, who's been like an old school Midwest kicking around the Indies guy forever. He went to the Chris Hero seminar and just by showing his face at the seminar, he got a booking. You get one booking. If you're good enough, that leads to more bookings. Yeah, CB so is very affiliated with Ring of Honor and whatever Ring of Honor is going to be. He runs his own shows from time to time out of the worldwide Dota dojo. He's involved with a lot of the other promotions that run in the Northeastern area. 50 bucks, a free day, get to learn whether you pick the Ian one, the Bryce one, or both. You get to learn from one of the best and most respected people in all of professional wrestling, and you get your face seen by some of the most influential people in professional wrestling. You'd be foolish not to do it. Yeah, invest in yourself. That seems like a really good idea. Fucking A, man. Um, last but not least, pink button time. It's the only way that you can get free Ed Cody content. It's Young Ed. Hey, Joe and Adam. It's Ed. Uh, I'm on my way to AIW Cheaper. Not to be confused with Teddy Hart's chloroform. Um, <laughs> football's really fucking cool, huh? It's just kind of like one of the best sports. Um, pretty dope. Uh, also, it was really nice seeing you this weekend. Me and Pat enjoyed hanging out with you. Uh, <laughs> but let's get to it. What I've done this week, uh, Joe, I caught up on Darkhawk, and uh, I, I'm all caught up on that, and that book is bad. <laughs> I'm going to finish it because I think the miniseries, but it is, it's not good. There's a point where Miles Morales, Spider-Man, talking with Darkhawk, and all of a sudden, Captain America just shows up and is more or less like, Joe, I'm Captain America, and I'll help out. It's fucking weird, and it's not, like, fun weird either. Um, wrestling news, uh, I guess Eric Stevens is back, and Gabe is back, and now they can uh, both stay Ring of Honor together. I'm very excited. Uh, as you know, I haven't been on Twitter, so I'm just wondering if you can give me an update right now on how my friend is. Uh, did he catch Mr. Brown in the time that I've been away? <laughs> A quick, a quick little question for uh, both of you guys. So uh, you have to pick one of these three. They have to be my best friend, uh, and you still have to like me for it. Gabe Sapolsky, Joe Lanza, Ryan Sand, who are you picking for my best friend? And you also still have to be friends with me in this scenario. Rest in peace, Bob Saget. You're a real one. Artie Lane is the real-life version of that uh, 
that John Belushi said your life's catch where he dances on all his dead friends' graves. Uh, I'm out. Uh, see you guys next week. I'll talk to you next week, however that works. Maybe I'll see you. I saw him this weekend. Okay, bye. <laughs> So, so much to unpack. <laughs> again, Ed packs a lot into a call. I'll give him that much. I'm sorry the Darkhawk uh, miniseries wasn't good. I could have told you that ahead of time, but far be it from me to discourage anyone from purchasing comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ed's, Ed's got a good track record of picking stuff. You get one stumbling block. Um, sadly, a lot of times, like, that's how a lot of Marvel storylines, like, I'm just getting caught up on Daredevil, you know? And there's a bit where, like, oh, Daredevil broke out of jail to stop Bullseye. And he hands Bullseye over to the authorities. And they're like, you broke out of jail. And then, like, Spider-Man and all, all the Avengers show up. And they're like, yeah, cops, but what have you done? Oh, you got us there. And then that's how the issue ends. <laughs> I've realized I haven't gone to get comics in the last two weeks because I literally didn't have anything there. I feel like I'm buying maybe three books a month at this point. And like, some of them are like very late, like blue and gold. So uh, I don't know, man, I'm not a very good comic book purchaser these days. Um, I I will just say regarding Ed commenting about how great football is. uh, It has been nice to have a bonus game of the Steelers season this year. Uh, And I will say, obviously, the Steelers are going to lose by 150 points this weekend to Marcus's chiefs. Uh, I am okay with that. I have come to peace with that. Um, It is just nice that the country will get to see a future hall of famer or first ballot hall of famer and really good quarterback play his last game on national television. But I do not expect even uh, a decent showing from the Steelers. But uh, he mentioned, Ed said, what were our three options? Was it Gabe, Ryan, Satin, and who was the third person that he would uh, be friends so with? So there was one. We'll come back to the other thing, but yeah, Gabe Sapolsky, uh, Ryan Satin, aka Lion Ratten, and Joe Lanza of Voices of Wrestling. Hmm. See, um, not... Joe I'll Lanza maybe kind of sort of racist. Okay. Um, Gabe maybe not a good person. Maybe an enabler. Maybe. Uh, whatever, and then Ryan Satin, just an unabashed bootlicker suckass. Um, I think that out of those three choices, based on your description, I'd probably say Ryan Satin. Now, see, I would say Gabe, only because once Ed gets to be in that close proximity with Gabe and they get to be really good friends, Ed will want out of that friendship quicker than anything else in the world. <laughs> at least like the Ryan Satin friendship, you might get some World Wrestling Entertainment or at the very least 205 Live tickets or merchandise or something. And Ed has blinders for Joe Lanza just because Joe Lanza likes Japan and talks about Japanese wrestling that we get to overlook his racism, his homophobia, allegedly, and his political leanings, allegedly. But again, he likes Japanese wrestling, so he's an okay guy, right? That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll stick with Satin on that one based on all you just said. Yeah. I'm fine with it associating with a bootlicker, you know? <laughs> and oh. he also asked, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. He also asked what his friend Mark the Dead Man is up to on social media. Well, Ed, um, the taker, the dead man, has been really promoting his wine lately. Uh, and he's been searching out and sharing what he thinks are positive reviews of his wine. But they're just, like, press releases and announcements that his wine came out. 
So I don't think Mark knows what the difference between like a good review or a bad review or a press release is, but he's been tweeting out those a lot. And I also did see that, uh, uh, Mark was also using a pressure washer to clean his jeans and that it was right. causing a lot of wear and tear. So if there was like a split or something like that, it's not his fault. It's due to the pressure washer kind of making the, the fabric more, uh, more vulnerable to rips. Never. It's never Mark's fault, but thank yeah, you for yeah. your call. Ed. Yeah, I absolutely blown away there. And, uh, uh, We'll have to figure out a way for us to communicate outside the podcast since I can't uh, can't DM you because you deleted the Twitter app. Do you want Ed's phone number? I'll just give it to you on the air. <laughs> Go for it. All right, hang on. <laughs> I got to pull it up here. All right, I'm, I'm going I'm into my phone. I'm going to have it in here. All right, the first number is a five. Nice. And I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you a different number every week. How about that? <laughs> All right, I'll save it right now. (laughs) Some might cost a little. Some might cost a lot. But I'm the $100 Vansky. And your figures will be bought. All right. Hey, Adam, this has been a long show, huh? Yeah. What are we at now? I'm like pulling on the thing. Uh, Two hours and 27 minutes, and we haven't even gotten to like all of your huge weekly purchases. But uh, I'll I'll make it quick with some of these, and I'll start things off. I made a couple really inexpensive purchases in the major Facebook group because it is the year of financial responsibility. So I want to keep things pretty cheap. But I bought uh, just for the bit, Joe, just for the bit. And uh, because it was really cheap, I I bought a sealed Broski of the Week headband. (laughs) Well, there's only a few left because he's wrapping up the uh, MC True Z whatever story podcast that he's doing. So doesn't even have any left for the gimmick table. So, you know, uh, somebody put one up in the group and it was sealed. I was like, I'll buy that. It'll just be cool for the the detolf. And then one other thing I bought real cheap is... Uh, you know how there's those crate gimmicks, you know, Pro Wrestling Tees has them and AEW has them and all that fun stuff. Uh, but I guess this month's AEW crate had a Orange Cassidy air freshener in it. And uh, I kind of needed that because there's not a ton of non-T-shirt Orange Cassidy merch. So I got that really cheap in the group as well. So uh, I'll post pictures when that arrives. What about did you, Joe? You, did oh, you right. see or hear or watch... Uh, Brian Myers' unboxing of the Upper Deck AEW cards. Any thoughts or feelings on those? Uh, I, I didn't watch his uh, his uh, breaking of the cards. I've seen a lot of pictures in the group, and I've been clocking uh, prices of cards on eBay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, obviously, I there are two searches, two save searches on, on my phone for AEW Upper Deck cards, and one of them is Orange, and the other one's Tay Conti. And... The autographed cards a week ago, people were asking like a thousand dollars. Now they're asking like three hundred. Uh, give it like six months, and these will be like fifty dollar cards. Yeah, because there's lots of them. So I have no desire to jump on any of the uh, the cards anytime soon. I'll wait six months. I'll wait a year even. I'll get some of those cards like really cheap. You know. Yeah. 
I think it's, uh, just, it's asinine that like, oh, there's there's 200 of these autographs and I'm going to get thousands of dollars for it. No, you're not, you know? Mm-hmm. So Monday, uh, we find out this Thursday as we're recording this for uh, Boy Scouts for my kid. They needed to have compasses like his little group needed to have compasses. Right. OK, so we get this information Monday night. We need them for Thursday. We look them up. My go to, of course, always is Amazon. Right. And we find a bunch, but it says they're not going to arrive until Friday. OK, everything's shipping late. So I'm like. Even if I run it through and I pay the extra, it's still not giving me an option that they can guarantee them here for Thursday. Okay. So we find them on Walmart's website. And this is where we're going to get into a thing where I guess a lot of people complain and lament about doing like pre-orders and stuff from Walmart, right? Yeah. So when you search them out on Walmart and you're looking at the listings before you click on anything, it has the, uh, it says pack of two compasses for like eight bucks. But when you click on the link to actually order them, one is $8. A pack of two is like $12. Doesn't give that information to you initially, right? Okay. So when you go to the thing to add them to your cart, it says, will will arrive by Thursday. I'm like, perfect. It's Monday night. We're cutting it close. Perfect. No problem. So we order them. I pay, I get my confirmation. It says your order will arrive by Thursday. Perfect, great. Uh, I get my email, I get my text confirmation. We're good to go, we're ready to go, right? Uh, So then uh, Wednesday, so like I said, we order them Monday night. Wednesday morning, I get the text and email confirmation that says your order's on the way, it'll arrive on January 20th which is not this Friday or not this Wednesday, but ne- or ne- not this Thursday, but next Thursday. It clearly said when I ordered it that it would be available this Thursday, the 13th. I ordered it, a day goes by, and they add a week onto the shipping. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, I, I, I see a lot of complaints about Target. I, I've never really, hold on, knocking on wood. I haven't been burned by Target. But Walmart is the drizzling shits when it comes to everything that you could possibly order from them with them hitting a timetable. I have so many figures that I just won't ever get. Like, it's not a matter of them being late. It's just the pre-order will never get fulfilled. It'll just keep getting pushed back and get pushed back and get pushed back until I either find the figures in the wild, which happens most of the time, or I just break down and I buy them in like the major pod Facebook group. But like there's, I would say that I have, and I order, I don't know if you know this Joe. I order a lot of toys and dolls and whatnot. Um, I probably have a one in five fulfillment rate of things I get on Walmart. Uh, where the other four out of the five is just me ending up canceling them. And Walmart's not canceling them like we see a lot on the internet. They just keep pushing them back. Or I probably have one or two figures. Like I have those Walmart exclusive Sting figures they ordered two of. And if you go on the Walmart website right now, it says like preparing to ship. And it has said that since late December. And it still says... Uh, should arrive by like January 4th. So they just never bothered to update it. You know, like 
They have no clue. They fulfill all of their in-store orders prior to anything that they do uh, with people that are online, and they just don't give a shit. I've emailed customer service, and they have assured me, oh, this order will definitely ship by this day. Uh, it's on this this truck on its way, and we know that based on these manifests, you'll get it on this day, and they never arrive. So uh, if you can't order from Amazon, just you know, cut your losses. Yeah, I, I've learned my lesson. Um, speaking of shitty companies that you shouldn't give any money to, I, uh, bought some stuff from a shitty company that you shouldn't give money to, and that's WWE shop. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that place in in Chicago. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Um, I don't know. Maybe debatably worse. I don't know. Uh, but who that that's up for discussion, <laughs> but they had a sale this past, I don't know, Monday or whatever, Tuesday. And it was 50% off all clearance stuff. And it was 50% off of the already reduced pricing. And uh, whenever that happens, I kick around because a lot of times it's like, oh, they have a shirt that's already priced at like 10 bucks. And then it's like 50% off of that. But two things caught my eye because it was kind of picked clean by the time I looked at it. But I'm sure you're familiar with the homage t-shirts, which uh, idiots will call homage. Yes. Um, I purchased a Cactus Jack uh, t-shirt, the Wanted Dead or Alive, uh, an homage shirt, and that was $9 down from 30 Okay. And I also, and I, I would not have bought this anywhere close to full price, but you know how they do those commemorative plaque gimmicks, and sometimes they're signed, and sometimes there's like, you know, pieces of ring memorabilia or whatever, but there was... Uh, limited to 350 and signed uh, Johnny Gargano NXT plaque that, to commemorate him being like the first triple crown winner or whatever. And I'm going to shoot you a text of that in just a second here. But um, it was basically originally like 150 bucks and I got it for 30 bucks. Okay. So I'm like, you know, I'm a huge Johnny Gargano mark. It's uh, I don't know if I'll display it if it really has a spot, but I'll, it was just at that price. I was like, yeah, I need to grab that. So all when all in all, I spent, you know, before shipping less than 40 bucks for the basically those two items. And I don't mind buying stuff from WWE if I, if I feel like I'm taking advantage of them or, or making them buy me the stuff or sell me the stuff at a loss, you know? Right. Um, I have one other big like kind of conversation, but do you have anything else? Yeah, I'll just finish this up. Not a purchase, but stuff came in that I discussed last week, and that was the uh, the figure defender things from FigureShield.com, right? Okay. Um, and I'd got one for the old school Power of the Force figure, and I'd gotten one for my Black Series figure. Now, uh, I'm going to turn my camera on here so you could see this. Okay. Not see me, but see this. Okay. So here's the one for the Power of the Force figure, right? Yep. And I'm going to hold it on the top and go like this. See, everything looks nice and good, okay? Yep. Now, and these are the, like, and you know which ones I'm talking about. Like, they're the thinner plasticky ones, you know, the typical ones that you would get from ringside, right? Yeah, the little snap-on bubbles at the top to kind of hold it shut. I have one of those, uh, I have like a moderately expensive Boba Fett like version and in, inside of one of those. Sure. So then here's the one that figure shield um, portents is for the current star Wars black series. Like there's like 
ones for like the 2015 to 2018, the 18 to whatever, and then the two, the 2020 to current ones, right? Okay. So here's the here's the one that I got. Oh Jesus! It's all okay. bad. It's super roomy. <laughs> it's super roomy, right? So I go and I'm like, what the fuck? So I go, I go, did I order the wrong one? And I'm like, no, I didn't order the wrong one. This is what they say you're supposed to use for the black figures. Obviously, they're wrong. Um, I think what it's supposed to be, it's mislabeled on their website. Like, these are supposed to be for, like, Marvel Legends figures. Okay. Okay. And, and one other thing, Joe, there is a, a version of the Black Series. Uh, usually, it's the store-exclusive ones where the box is about twice as wide. Okay. Because it has a bunch of extra accessories in there. And right. those it's, do run concurrently with those skinnier boxes. Right. So I got to figure out a different one to get because Figure Shield sells like those harder, thicker plastic ones, right? Uh-huh. But the way that you have to do them is for a Black Series type figure is you have to take the eye hook that's on the box itself and kind of like feed it through the figure defender and then hang it that way on the wall. Mm, I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of that either. And then I don't like the sound of like having all like the one uniform type of figure defender and then having that one figure in the different hard plastic one. It's all or nothing on the figure defenders. Yeah. Uniformity of like the material, the, yes. the, the everything. So it's no. just the way that it's labeled on their website. It's kind of misleading of which ones go for which. I get what you're saying that there's other black series Star Wars figures that are a little bit wider that that would probably fit for, but obviously because there's not uniformity in the Star Wars Black Series figures, apparently, I just got to find someplace else that this will fit with, right? Yeah. Like, I could still use that. Um, Like, I have a couple Marvel Legends, not a ton, like I have two, so I could, like, put that in that. When I put that up on the wall, it's just, like, I really want to get something for the Black Series figure, you know? Yeah, and you have to keep me posted because there are some of my uh, I, I I've mentioned many times before I, I don't have a ton of Black Series stuff, but it, the collection is getting bigger, and some of those older Mandalorian ones are starting to go for bigger bucks, and yeah, wouldn't mind putting them in something, you know. And and last but not least, with the Bib Fortuna collection, um, you know, I kind of said I'm not gonna go with like the 12 inch like doll figure that came in like a two pack with a Luke Skywalker. I'm not uh -huh. going to go with the Funko Pop, right? I was going to go just figures. And yeah. then uh, Robles of Smart Mark Video pointed out to me that there's a Bib Fortuna Just Toys Bendem. Ooh. <laughs> is it single-packed or is it like a multi-pack? It's single-packed. Oh, you need that. Yeah, I need that. Now I got to look to see if there's Just Bendem's cases, right? <laughs> well, if they're the same size as the wrestling ones, there's a lot of people are displaying them in the Facebook group, you know, the, you know, the originals, there is a case for them. And maybe it's gotcha. just the, like the, the, the retro case or something like that, but people are casing them up somehow. Yep. All right. All right. That's it. I'm done. All right. Um, I had mentioned last week that I bought an autographed rookie of Billy K and I added that to a shelf in my detolf. Uh, it's becoming unofficially a little bit of a, greasy creeper shelf but it's got uh my tay conti autograph rookie it has my alexa bliss autograph card it's not a rookie because i can't afford the autographed one because that's now like a seven thousand dollar card um and i kind of went down the rabbit hole of like well who else do i want down there and 
The first thing that popped in my mind based on watching the Impact pay-per-view is I needed something Maria Canellis. And uh, started kind of looking around and seeing what her cards were and what they kind of went for. And there's a lot of her early cards that are unsigned uh, and are very inexpensive. And uh, there are also not available right this second on eBay, but there is like an autographed card that when it does pop up, it goes for maybe like 30 bucks. Um, so did not pull the trigger on that um, because it's just not available. But I bought some cheap uh, cards and the first one I bought, I'm about to send you the front and the back is her 2006 tops chrome divas restricted access card uh oh i went with this because uh it's probably the best imagery out of any of the cards so that are her rookie year um but that was like i don't know like eight bucks or something like that so that was nothing uh and then i also purchased uh, i'm trying to see the year here uh the year is irrelevant but a company called bench warmers that apparently caters to the creeps such as myself and just sells a lot of cards uh, of female talent. And this is an autographed card limited to 10 copies. And uh, this I'm sending you as well. It was like $3 plus shipping. So uh, did not break the bank on either of these because again, they are not a, the the super super in demand ones like the autograph rookies but uh this caused me to go down a bit of a rabbit hole of looking up maria canella stuff and uh if you were curious joe uh and uh, if anybody listening is curious her rookie figure she does not have a lot of figures she only has two figures and they're both during the jacks era uh one of them is a two-pack with I forget if it was like Tori Wilson or Sable, but uh, that was a store exclusive that is very, very, very expensive. Uh, I want to say like two or three hundred dollars boxed. Uh, but that is her second figure. Her rookie figure is uh, Jack's Adrenaline two pack with Santino Morella. Uh, I know. Ugh. Uh, but that two pack only goes for about 60 bucks shipped. Uh, I did not buy that. But if you were curious, that is the going rate. And if you were also curious, Joe, the going rate of a sealed copy of her Playboy is about 25 ships. Uh, if anybody was looking to pull the trigger, uh, just so you know, I've done the research so you don't have to. <laughs> so I'll say this. When you had tweeted out the teaser image earlier today before we recorded uh-huh. and you had that Maria card uh, in there with the at odds logo, you know, yep. um, but you didn't have that. It was Maria. And I'm looking at that picture and I'm like. I have no idea who the fuck that girl is. Oh, really? Uh, so like 2006 Maria is a very different uh, animal than 2014 or current day Maria. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't a redhead, obviously. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, and again, like I was watching World Wrestling Entertainment, but I think you know, like now that I say it and I see it and I really look at those pictures, Adam, that you sent me, yeah, I yeah, kind of see them. Maria in there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I like current day Maria a lot more than, you know, uh, 18 years ago, Maria. Is that what it would be? Uh, 16 uh, years ago. I don't know. My gazint is here 16 <laughs> years ago. Well, I feel like Maria like uh, is timeless, whether it be 2006 or 2026. It'll all be height of powers. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, and Joe, before I wrap it up, uh, obviously I've already made some uh, Maria purchases. Um, and I, I know what the other card is that I need. It's on my eBay watch list. But here's the thing about when you start a grease section of your card collection. Um, sure. There's really, it's hard to set limits. So uh, I, I've just been doing some research. Just again, this is for a fact-finding mission. If anybody is curious, there are no official Beulah McGillicuddy cards. Uh, you can get some 8x10s and some stuff like that. There's some bootleg kiss cards out there, but uh, no no real cards, no Japanese cards, anything like that. So I'm a little di disappointed in that. Uh, and there is only one Francine card uh, made by Leaf. And instead of a picture of her, it's a painting of her. And uh, I'd rather a, a picture of her on it. Uh, so that kind of disqualifies Francine. Uh, and lastly, I've been looking into Stacy Keebler. She's a, a mighty expensive autograph to obtain. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, discerning buyers are snapping up those Stacy Keebler uh, cards. However, there is a Miss Hancock rookie card, and I use the term rookie card loosely. It was a WCW 2000, which obviously is the the greatest era of WCW, but it was like a card game, like made by Wizards of the Coast, and it was the first and only Miss Hancock merch. And I'm trying to upload the picture to you, but I did. No, not I think you tweeted it out the other day, right? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I did. Um, but there's uh, the prices are all over the place. There's one of them that's like 40 bucks on eBay right now, and the seller sent me an offer of 35. Um, thinking of like countering like 20 bucks and just going crazy to see what happens, you know? Uh, because there is not. To the best of my research, there's literally nothing Miss Hancock out there. There's like a an 8x10, you know, like a WCW-issued 8x10. But I'd rather just stick with the card size. So uh, I might make a move on that, and I might update us next week. But uh, if anybody else knows any Miss Hancock merch, let your boy know. If the Rocky Maivia card that came in a trivia game counts as his rookie card... Yeah. Then that Miss Hancock card from a Wizards of the Coast, uh, you know, trading collectible card game absolutely counts as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like maybe I want to say this was from 2000 and it wasn't until 2002 or 2003 that WWE started having cards of her as Stacey Keebler. So this is definitely short of getting uh, I know there is, you know, what? now that I think of it, there is uh a Baltimore Ravens cheerleader card of her that when it pops up, it's like you, you mentioned the rock with the, the rocks, Florida state card, you know, that's like a fucking $10,000 card. That's what these damn uh, cheerleader cards border on. But uh, we're, we're sniffing a little too early on there. I think I'll stick with miss Hancock. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'll update you guys. If my uh, grease section of my card collection gets any bigger. Yeah, and I'll probably bite in the bullet. Maybe like here, like uh, hopefully I'll get something figured out for the Black Series case, and uh, you know we'll we'll buy the next in the set of the Bib Fortunas. And like by the time that one that I pre-ordered for May comes in, like I'll have the full run of them. You know. Yeah, and hopefully you have some leads on those Bendems, and uh, gotta complete that collection. I don't think you should exclude things like Funkos or or oversized figures. Yeah, the only reason I don't like the oversized figures is because it's like a doll, it's like a Barbie doll, and it comes packaged with someone else. If it was just a Boba Fett, I'd get it, but because it's a two pack, I'm like, I don't have to get it. Yeah, well, 
if you want to be the Michael Jordan of the Big Fortuna collecting, you, you need to buy it. We'll see. I'm Don't okay. do it all at once. I'm okay getting the things that I'm getting. All right, fair enough. Well, that's all I got, Joe. Nice short three-hour show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it'll clock in maybe like about 2.40. So, all right. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with us, everyone. Thanks for bearing with us. Hopefully, you're doing something this weekend that you can consume this show in one sitting. Uh, <laughs> for Adam, this is Joe. Closing out episode 173, at Odds with Wrestling. Be safe out there and enjoy some wrestling. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.